0: There it is. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Cool. Here we go. And we are live. Jack, how's it going, man?
1: Good, Brent. How are you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. Isn't that what you're supposed to say? Thanks for having me on?
0: Uh, I, th- I think somewhat times. I don't know. I don't have a script that I read, so I'm not sure. I'm doing good, though. How are you doing?
1: Outstanding. Uh, no, no complaints at all. That's good.
0: So, for the people who might be listening to this or watching this and wondering who is this jack baruth guy is that i'm right? wondering
1: that yeah yeah i'm also wondering that And you did say it right okay who is uh, he? yeah who are you <laughs> okay so are, are you are you're asking me to say so i will um okay i started uh started racing and i guess what well, we called it freestyling back then does anybody say freestyling now uh i don't think so but... yeah i don't think so yeah um <laughs> started, started racing and riding in 86, um, broke my neck in 88, uh, came back, turned pro with the NBL in 1990. I had a easily the, maybe the third worst pro career in the history of NBL BMX, <laughs> maybe the second worst. I don't know. The only guy I ever beat on a regular basis was Steve Budendeck. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't even beat Hal. Um, And then, um, so I ran a mail-order bike shop back then. I had one of the first BMX websites, which was uh, bmxbasics.org. At one point in like 2001, we had half a million people a month reading the site. I did nothing with it, didn't make a penny from it, Um, which just seems really stupid now. Um, Have designed a bunch of frames, worked with with various people, have ridden off and on, uh, took a break to folks on racing cars, um, I got, I had a bad knee surgery. I went to Woodward in like 04, and my knees just didn't work. I'm like, I'm gonna go race cars. And then my son uh, started racing, very much against my will. And so now we ride together, and I'm back in it, which is, and the way I met you was um, Brian Horaki had me come out and see uh, the premiere of No Promises in the, in the theater, which was unbelievable, and just it was enough to, uh, it was just enough to completely. Um, reanimate my my love for the sport. What you're doing here in Ohio, and since then I've seen you at raise a million times, and I'm just, you know glad to have a chance to talk with you.
0: Heck yeah! So there's also a whole world of things that you're a part of outside of bicycles that some people might find their way here from but for the people who don't know about that do we have a quick like rundown on that
1: yeah um i've been racing and writing about cars for two decades now i've raced around the world uh uh driven the nurburgring in germany um won a couple awards in pirelli world challenge which is a pro series raced what they call emsa now we called it grand am at the time um, I've got a race shop that shares a property line with Mid Ohio that I just finished building a couple months ago, and I run a bunch of cars. My wife is a regional champion in uh, NASA. She runs a MX5 Cup car. I run a couple radicals, which are like little—it's um, hard to describe them if you don't know, know what they are—but very small cars with pretty big engines. Mm-hmm. And um, ran a Honda Accord and World Challenge, which was a pro series and uh, have been running the same crummy Plymouth Neon amateur race car for like 15 years. And besides that, I've driven McLarens in the GT3 and GT4 programs with uh, Motorsports in Action and K-Pax Racing. I was a contributing editor for Road and Track for a long time and worked with a bunch of people there. I was first person to test the Corvette ZR1 when it came out in 2013. Uh, run data on all sorts of cars. I, re- I wrote the performance car of the year feature for road and track for years did most of their race car testing uh, Went to work for an insurance company for three and a half years um, just left them a little bit ago and Then um, uh, don't know what I'm gonna do next. So that's kind of the car thing too dang
0: what a friggin <clears throat> life That's awesome. There's a lot to that and The main reason that I asked you about doing one of these is because I feel like there's some similarities in the things that we like do currently or some of the mindsets we share in where we fit within the industry as far as like you and the racing and car side of things and me in the BMX industry. And I kind of was just curious on your perspectives on
1: that well, hey, Brent, that's a lie because you're the most positive force in Midwest BMX, <laughs> and I got—I've been banned uh, three times from racing san- sanctions for conduct and hitting people and putting people in the life flight and all sorts of stuff. So we're, we couldn't be more opposite there. But you know, oh. th- the funny thing is, so the the bike and car overlap is unbelievable, and it's—and mm. <clears throat> it's—it's not just the whole thing. Like, if I take a Haro master to a. Uh, I I take a bike to every race where I can, right? And I'll go bunny hop over stuff and just kind of ride. Of course, you always see a lot of BMX bikes at the races. The endurance races, you'll have two dozen BMX bikes going around. Um, And not department store stuff, but people on S&Ms and fits and standards and and things. There's a big overlap in competition. Um, There's a guy I don't like to talk about because he kind of depresses me. This dude, Tyler Hoffman who was um, USA BMX cruiser champion this year, national champion, I think he's 38, and also came pretty close to winning a pro race championship. Um, you've got Riley Salyer who, uh, I don't know if you've run into him, but he's an SCCA national champion, one of the youngest of all time, and a uh, competitive BMX racer and downhill racer. And so you do see, uh, and you know, again, I talk, I talk to people everywhere from the lift lines to raise, and it's unbelievable. Even somebody like, oh my gosh, uh, Noah Kleptash, who,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um, you know, is running that Miata, and also out there doing all sorts of stuff. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's it's a huge overlap. And the, the, the only real difference, I mean, it's just, it's kind of the same mindset. And I think to some degree, it's it can be you like like with riding it can be you versus yourself. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't see you doing a lot of um, USA BMX freestyle or any any of that any of the sanctioned stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You're progressing the sport by yourself with your group. As far as I can tell, the only the only person you're really going at is Brant Moore. Yeah, you know you'll set a challenge for yourself and you'll work on it. And you know we have we got time trials for that. We've got um, you know people we have drifting, which is it's a lot like that actually. And in the same way that you have people who want to compete, who want to run X Games, who want to do, you know, Red Bull Rampage on the big wheel side and stuff, we've got a bunch of pro racing. And, uh, of course, unfortunately, you can get killed in both, which yeah. um, happens more often in the car than on the bike, I think.
0: Yeah, I, would, I would guess, but it does unfortunately happen on both, which is sad. But something that I think we accept as bike riders and car racers.
1: Yeah, and you can you accept that you can get hurt. I mean, oh my gosh, I I broke uh, three ribs at Angel Fire about six months ago, and you know people say, to me, you're 51 years old. What do you, how do you breaking ribs? How are you breaking ribs on a bike?" You know, were you were you <laughs> you, know, you know you're riding to the ice cream shop and you fell off or something? I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, and so the bike and the car scene, it's, there's a huge overlap. You've got guys like Bob Haro, who was a, a pioneer of the sport in BMX. And who is obsessed with cars? Uh, cars were a big part of when we got started. You know, uh, Stu Thompson, guys like that, jumping over a Porsche 930 Turbo. Um, there's, so this is embarrassing, but I had I had a 911 for like, oh gosh, 20 years, and I kept thinking I'm going to jump over the thing, just like, just like in the magazines, mm-hmm. and I never had the right ramp or anything. And finally, I went to sell the car, and I thought, you know, I I haven't, um, I haven't done, that. I got to go do it. And so I went to Mike's with my son, and, and we're we're talking about this. And I come off that turnaround on the back corner, like the new one, where you go down the hill and around. There's a there's a like a little pop up and pop off. Okay. And I hit the wall. And I I snapped my wrist. I'm like, well, I guess I'm I guess I'm out of it now. I don't have to. I can sell the car. I don't <laughs> have to jump over it. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the the car and bike overlap is is huge, and there are guys like uh, Schultz Design Works where they they do bmx graphics they do car and, and mini truck graphics um i don't i don't think i think if you were to go to any kind of major amateur race and say how many people here ever took a gate in bmx or dropped in on a quarter pipe i think you'd get between a third and a half of the people raise their hands
0: uh, yeah it just seems like there's so many people who start riding bmx and then end up in the car world <clears throat> at least from my experience
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, I was surprised. I have, I think I've, I have Laird Frame 299. My one of my park bikes is a Mike Laird bike. Had it for a while, and the number of people that come up to me at a track or a racetrack, say, "Is that a Mike Laird bike? Hmm. Like, how do you know who this guy is?" Yeah, and say, "Oh, I I saw that bike on his Instagram." So it, it, you know, it is. It's a big overlap. And then what's kind of depressing is. I'll have a lot of people say, you know, well, God, I wish I could go to the Nurburgring and race or wish I could do all the stuff that you've done. And what I always want to say is, man, if there's a button I can press and I can be 25 years old and able to run any downhill line in the country or able to do the outside line of profile world without, you know, throwing up. You can go race the Nurburgring. You know, you got your whole <laughs> life to do that. You only, you have a limited amount of time on the bike when you can really accomplish what you want to do. Yeah. And to me, that's the real gift. Everything else you, you got, You know, I tra- I've trained hundreds of race drivers. I and actually, I started off training BMX racers back in the day, and I kind of went from that to training uh, drivers. And I can, tra- I can train a 60-year-old to win a to win a pro championship if he's got enough money. I cannot train a 40-year-old to drop in. I just, it just can't. You know, if you've never done it before, it's it's impossible to explain and put that muscle memory into somebody who's my age or, or a little bit younger.
0: Yeah, and that's funny because I attempt to do that. <laughs> There's times where I attempt to do that, but uh, I feel like I kind of want to go back to it. You mentioned that you started racing in 1986.
1: Yeah, I mean it was weird. You know, it was you know we rode a dinosaur to the track. And <laughs> My son likes to make fun of me. He says, "How how did bikes even work?" I'm like, "They didn't. Hmm. They didn't work." Yeah. Um, my first bike was a Redline 600C with a forklifter stem and mild steel bars, one piece uh, one piece cranks, 36 uh, inch single wall rims, uh, half inch you know half inch pedal axle,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and everything everything slipped. Everything moved. Um, <clears throat> I got a DK stem pretty early because the forklifter was trash Don't ever race or I would never. I wouldn't do a two-foot bunny hop on a forklifter stem. But <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I got a DK stem that led to me meeting Charles and Billy Danishek and Jared Raffleck and a lot of the people who ended up doing System Cycle and DK. Yeah. In, oh, but the bikes were so terrible, Grant. I can't. Oh my god. I I bent frames doing stuff that clearing six foot gaps you know it's it was unbelievable how bad the bikes were and um and a lot of them were made on jigs that had no precision to them there's a company called Baden company i raced super class which was junior pro i think they call it just junior pro now not elite but i got the bike and the brake bridge was so far away i couldn't run the odyssey pitbull brake. and please let's if you know what a pit bull break is, you nod your head, but it was it was the worst. <laughs> and um, I wrote the guy, because keep in mind, I couldn't afford to call him. And we yeah. didn't have email. I wrote him a letter that said, Mr. Gowen, this break bridge is too far away. And he sends me a letter back that says, you're an idiot. Why are you are? And then two weeks later, I get another letter from him that says, well, I went back and measured. Turns out I'm an idiot. And I made, <laughs> I made 100 bad frames, and you have one of them. So <clears throat> send them back. But... Um, like. Chris Moeller used to have a company called B&E, and I know you've interviewed Chris, who's a great interview. Mm-hmm. And man, he was running around getting anybody to build his bikes. And I was running a, I ran a little bike shop called Squidco, a little mail order shop in 1990 and 1991. We worked with Chris and people would call us like, oh, well, I want a Challenger or I want um, dirt bike or I want a Holmes. That was actually your only three choices. And you'd call Chris and you'd be like, Man, A, I hope he's got it. Mm. And B, I hope it comes out straight. And, you know, I hope it comes out in the color that that you wanted. Because if you made a mistake, it was a month to turn it around. All the parts were terrible. Everything was bad. We had a great time, but I can't... It was like, uh, someday, Brent, you should do something where we get a, a genuine vintage bike from all these old school guys who go to the fairs and stuff. Yeah. And you should spend a day riding raise with a 1988 gt pro performer or something i would love to do that i mean i think your girlfriend would probably want to dial nine one and get ready to complete the call right <laughs> but none, none none of this stuff could handle i mean uh, when i was when i was in school in 1990 i was doing loading dock drops that was a big thing
2: mm-hmm. I realize
1: now people do that in and out of a trick right but you know i'm riding off these loading docks it's three feet and i would land and then I would pull over, and I'd get my spoke wrench out, and I would true the wheel, and I'd go back out and do it again. Oh, wow. And if I didn't do the wheel truing and retention in between every drop, then the rim would buckle, and I'd be out of wheel. And that was on 48s, which you know, another ridiculous idea.
0: That's wild to hear about, and it's right at that time, just before like standards started, and really, the companies with standard at that time started to really make bikes that <clears throat> They tried to not have
1: brake. Yeah, yeah the sta the original STA 500 which oh and, and brand I realized the the limitations of this format I, I kind of wanted to go around my basement right and drag all this stuff up, but i've got I've got dirt jump frames that were eight pounds.
0: Yeah, holy cow.
1: I mean they're just so, and and the um when odyssey did the first thermal fork it was two and a half pounds like oh my god dude a two and a half pound fork that doesn't break you know what are we gonna <laughs> yeah. do with all this technology you know it's just this is too much
0: well uh we don't live very far apart from each other these days so we that's could, true yeah we could do a follow-up
1: and uh could give me that tour at some point yeah i think you know my brother's got an auburn a two-piece Auburn frame, I don't know if you ever saw those, GT did a couple of years where they made two-piece BMX bikes. The idea was you would get the rear triangle that matched your riding style. And we've got, and he was GT co-factory in, in 91. So, uh, I'm sorry, 1990. He was a 14, a four, uh, 14-year-old rider. And so we have this perfectly preserved top shelf 1990 Auburn and I really want to have you ride it. And I don't want you to ride it too much, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to lose like half a season in this thing, but <laughs> it um, I, I hope if I could get all of your listeners who weren't who are not that age to ride something like that, then I think you would go through and look at a BMX action and not laugh so bad. Oh, uh, you know? Yeah,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I mean I think about that stuff whenever I look at old pictures and videos and things and just you kind of look at it in all of what people were even able to do on those
1: bikes yeah and and also one of the one of the things is, it's just amazing to me how i watch a guy like uh, gage sharp and i will i will admit i watch more of his instagram stuff than any other rider because i don't think i can do any of it so it doesn't hurt my feelings <laughs> and he does, he does stuff in and out of tricks that we, any of that stuff, we could have done it for two seconds. You know, we'd have made a print zine about it, made 500 copies, asked everybody to give us a dollar for it, and driven to Nationals to hand them out. Um, yeah, it used to be there were no rolling tricks. Like, there's this guy, um, Kevin Jones in the Plywood Hoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dorkin and York videos. Somebody showed me a Dorkin and York video for the first time. I went home. I couldn't even get on my bike. Like this <laughs> stuff that, that we'd always done static, you know, tricks like lawnmowers, Miami hoppers, all mm-hmm. that. This guy was doing them on the roll. He was doing basically, you know, a rolling Miami hopper kind of. And um, But the progression is unbelievable. And sometimes I, I watch you or I watch Gage or somebody, I think, you know, honestly, what's what's left? You know, what what is um, – in you're in endlessly inventive, right? I think, what'd you do, 27 tricks to turn 27 or something like that? Was, I usually do dumb stuff like that. Yeah. Like, if I hit
0: a milestone on YouTube, I'll go and do that many tricks.
1: Yeah, we didn't have anything like that library. I mean, growing up, we... Like, the, uh, like your average Columbus trails writer, right? We had a place called AMA where uh, mm-hmm. Todd Lyons, LaJuan Cunningham, um, people like that, right? And honestly, so... Everybody could do a cross-up, plain, not an X-up, but a plain cross-up. Most of us couldn't do it. I didn't learn X-ups until I was 24 years old because until then, I didn't have a frame long enough to get oh, my yeah. handlebars past the seat. Um, you know, I just couldn't, you, you would just, you know, you'd hit your your handlebar on the seat. So, but do it, you know, you do a cross-up. You, if you had the right combination of bike and rider, you could do a Leary, which is now a turndown. Um, you know, people did tabletops. Not all that flat, honestly. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have a huge trick library. And everything, we didn't string tricks together, ever. You'd work on one thing. You'd tell all your friends you could do it. They'd say you were lying. You'd go <laughs> out. You'd do it or not do it. Because you, you never pull off. I, I My big thing, I went to this uh, thing called lawnmower, where I'd ride in and out of the lawnmower perfect. And... I can do it right now, I swear to God. I'd go to my basement, and do it right now. But I never did it in front of anybody who I respected without falling <laughs> off the bike. That's funny.
0: I know how that goes. You you could do it first try, by yourself, and then you go to show somebody. You got to film it, and it takes you two hours.
1: Yeah, and once once you mess up once in front of a camera, you don't get any any more confident about it. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm all too familiar with that, man. Uh, <clears throat> so. At what point did you move up in racing to get to the pro rank?
1: Well, this is this is kind of embarrassing, right? I was um I was a pretty good I was a pretty good intermediate racer. I broke my neck. I was on a training ride, I got whacked by a truck. What and um you know, it was, it was so bad. It wasn't even breaking the neck and I broke it up up top, second cervical. I got hit by this guy, avoids my buddy who's crossing the road, hits me, I'm just sitting there looking like an idiot. The, it's a lumber truck right so I get underneath it I get tangled up in the wheels and then the back bumper of the lumber truck do you can think what that looks like it's kind of like a bar yeah. basically sticks into my back snaps my neck and drags me face down for 100 feet and uh, man, I, almost, I was in a coma for three days and so if I came out Whoa. and they, they they did this thing called a femur nail which they had never done in Columbus before because my right leg was all in pieces so they put it back together on this titanium nail and um all sorts of stuff. I was, I was when I went in, I was I was six foot three. When I went out back out, I was six foot two and I was 108 pounds. Whoa. And um, so naturally, I wanted to start racing again. And I tied my crippled right leg to my pedals and was uh, just riding around the neighborhood. And so, after two years, I got my pin taken out and I went back to race. And all my friends were experts. Like it was like everybody I was racing against, were gone from intermediate to expert. So I started racing with them. And um, I started writing for Bicycles Today magazine, which is kind of the, the in-house racing organ of the time. I don't even know what the equivalent is, probably Pull Magazine, which is mm-hmm. the USA BMX. And I started covering the pro races because people wanted pro coverage. And another thing, Brent, you got to understand is we were the first generation to, to be adult BMXers or to grow up in the sport. Right. You know, and if you could go back, there's so much talk about the dads, right? The dads ran everything. Yeah. There's no there riders didn't own companies you know there was moeller who was kind of the first one to do it but riders didn't own companies riders didn't run tracks riders didn't have any say it was all it was the dads who did everything and the dads used to write the race coverage so i started writing the race coverage and people kind of enjoyed it some people i remember uh, these guys charles townsend and gary ellis these two names were probably lost to time but they were gt pros these guys cornered me at the grand national said they were in a kick my ass <laughs> and they could have done it really easy charles townsend was like uh six two and 240 pounds i think ellis ellis you could stand behind ellis you wouldn't see him they used to call him the lumberjack and um <clears throat> but i liked to cover the pros so much but there were things about the pros you couldn't cover because you couldn't get in practice with them they were separate And i thought well i've won a couple expert races i'm just going to turn pro so i can get in there with them and cover the race
2: Mm. Which
1: brilliant idea! And I went to the NBL. And they're like, "Well, your your record is a disgrace as an amateur competitor, but we're, we'll let you try it because you have your own health coverage." right I'm like, "Yeah." Because they used to have health coverage for pros for like twenty five thousand dollars in medical. They're real explicit. Said, so "You get hurt, we're not paying for anything. Don't don't apply for it." <laughs> and um so I started doing. I started riding with the pros and and reporting on them and listening. And I never. I, I never won anything, I never made a pro main, I made it out of a moto, out of a qualifier like twice in my life, we used to have these, um, we used to have these money opens at Pacer BMX in Delaware, Ohio, and guys like Billy Aw, Barry McManus, who um, runs Trailside Bikes now, or uh, Trailhouse Village in Indiana, and in Winona, Indiana, one of the greatest natural riders, this was a guy who could do... He was maybe 6'3", 250 pounds, and he could land a jump in a manual before anybody knew you could do that. Brilliant guy, I like watching an elephant do stuff, but, and I was in with all these giants of men, right, who were knocking me around, I had stood no chance, but I did, did you know, learn about sport and, and uh, hang out with them, and I uh, then turned vet pro, which is a race thing, and in... in Oh two, I did. I did vet pro, and I just got smoked. I kind of thought it would be easier. Vet pro was harder because those guys were lifting every day. Yeah, and that was when I realized I was. I was a, always a never a great BMX racer. I was a pretty good car racer, so I thought, you know, I'm just going to ride for fun, and I'm going to do the pro racing in the car. Um, but I learned so much, and again, there's so so much stuff that's hard to explain now about riders trying to take control of the sanctions, of the sports, of trying to have our own say in what happened. And then the funny thing was a lot of us turned into dads, like I did. Mm. My son, you know, raced for a while and rides. And then all of a sudden we saw the other side of it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and
1: what what I realized is that the dads, like it or not, are kind of in it. They're mm-hmm. kind of in it to stay as long as their kids are doing it. Whereas you might have a guy and there's in Columbus we had this big thing where the racers the riders took over the track from the old men. And we had a couple meetings and it's like, Oh my God, finally no more fat dads telling us to do stuff and somebody's like yeah, who's gonna roll the track this weekend? Like, oh, hell no, man! I'm g- I'm going to Louisville to ride that that full <laughs> pipe, you know. No, I'm going to South Park to race. Well, I was just gonna, I gotta I gotta work at Wendy's, you know. And we realized pretty quick why you have the dads because the dads actually show up. hmm And so now it's kind of an uneasy thing. we like, I think a lot of places are now run by racer dads, you know, because they they do it because their kids are doing it and they're also dropping a gate. Mm-hmm. And, but we fought so hard for any kind of autonomy to even have I mean, imagine this a freestyle contest where every adult every judge is a 40 year old who's never ridden
0: yeah well <laughs> sometimes I, I feel like people talk like that's the case I can't say from experience that it is but yeah I, that's crazy to think about
1: it was the rule I mean it, it wasn't even like oh my god I can't believe it's like it this time it's like that was how it was You'd, you'd go there, and and the judges would be dudes who'd never ridden a bike. And you'd have to educate them. You know, I'd see guys like uh, Taj Mahalik or, or whatever, mm-hmm. very patiently educate. This is harder than that, you know. Yeah. Um, I can't express to you how much harder a one or no-footer is than a no-footer, you yeah. know, think, things like that. And it was kind of a nightmare, and, and, and not nothing about BMX is ever a nightmare. We're riding bikes and having fun, but it was it was hard in the sense that to have riders who um, who are who have some power and I got like uh, Daniel Durs. Now I think am I pronouncing it right? How's he pronounce it, Daniel?
0: People say Durs. People say Dares. Dares.
1: Yeah. I mean, this dude's got this guy is still young enough to be competing, and he's got his own place. Yeah. Which is amazing. You yeah. know, you think about it, just. Back then, we you know you'd have to go to a place like Woodward, and for years, Woodward was entirely built and operated by people who had never cranked you know never turned a wheel on a bike. That's crazy to think. It about is that. It, it sounds like I'm making it up, but some, some of your readers go back. Oh yeah, it's not true. It is. It was true. The bikes were terrible, and we had adults telling us what to do, and <laughs> nobody could manual. I mean, nobody. Todd Lyons could manual. That was it. Nobody else could manual. That is funny.
0: So. I want to go back to this BMX today or bicycles today, whatever it was called. Writing for them, like, is that where the writing thing started for you, or was it before that?
1: Uh, yeah, it did kind of. I, I was, so I was getting coached by a former pro named Scott Stevenson, who ran part of the National Bicycle League, and and I went. And this is this isn't really an adult tale, but some of the guys are gonna laugh. I went into the NBL office to pick up Scott's regular ride trails. And, again, I want to emphasize to younger readers that trails meant four-foot gaps, nothing higher than the desk I'm talking to you on. Mm -hmm. And there's this gorgeous young woman with this John Updike novel sitting there reading it. And I'd read the book. The novel just came out. I'd already read it. I went up to talk to her. And I hadn't gotten the memo that – well. At the time, if you rode BMX, you, you had no chance of talking to a woman. So you had to take every <laughs> chance. Was, there was no credibility to it. It, was, it Literally, if you were 18, you're like I rode my bike at Miami University every single day for four years. And the whole time, everybody in my fraternity, everyone in my school literally thought it was like my little brother's bike that dude are you, gonna, are you gonna get rid of that that harrow sport and get a real bike like no this is my real bike anyway gorgeous woman reading a book so i walk up to like I'm, i just finished that book what do you want to know about it and she ran bmx today she was like 28 years old an older woman very sophisticated um i now have bikes in the basement that are older than she is but um yeah so she just like just on the strength of the fact that i'd read this book and that i was a pro i held a pro license she let me write and I wrote whatever I wanted to, 2,000 words a month, and the parents would go nuts. We'd get these hate letters because so I'd talk about how just stuff that seems like, oh, you shouldn't hit your kids if they lose a race. <laughs> and we'd get these handwritten letters from from rural roots, like where I live now, the sticks. You know, you think you can tell me how to discipline my son when he won't try hard enough in a race? You know, um, you know, I, I wrote something like, we should have some riders own the sport and uh, uh, Rich Long, who owned GT Bicycles, calls up my boss and says, he keeps running his mouth like that. We're not going to sponsor any nationals next year. But you could say things that were in no way controversial and have people jump down your throat. I did race coverage, and I forgot to mention who won twenty five twenty nine Cruiser. And this was back when that class was a joke. I mean, right now, I think twenty five twenty nine Cruiser is as fast as single-A pro, but... Back then, it was guys who had started racing when they were 25.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this guy's son, he was a track operator, and his adult son had started racing, and somehow he won a race. And I didn't mention it. And he writes in and says, How come you didn't mention 2529 Cruiser? So I'm like, I open up my IBM PC, I'm like, Mr. Jones as a professional in this sport, I assure you that 2529 Cruiser is nothing but a pale shadow of genuine adult BMX competition. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so then he called up, the guy who ran the NBL and said, I'm taking my track to the ABA and stuff like that. So oh my. it was it was a lot of fun. And um, it was based on that, that that made me think I could run a mail-order bike shop. So, you know, I, I did that and I was running the mail-order bike shop just kind of, we didn't have a physical facility. We just appeared at races with a, with a, vw van full of stuff, that was the greatest time. That was so much fun.
0: Yeah, tell me about this mail order bike shop deal. So like, you just said you didn't have a like a break and mortar location. Cool.
1: How would we do it? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, just tell. I don't. <laughs> tell okay, me I'm just. Gonna say, I'm, not,
1: I'm not making this up. It sounds. Um, it sounds to me like I'm making it up. I was running. Um, I was running the BMX team for a bike shop in Hilliard, Ohio, called CMB Bikes. And this guy, he didn't know anything about BMX, but all his business was BMX. And he didn't want to go mail order because it frightened him. And this was back when Dan's was coming on strong. And you had Frankfurt BMX in Girard, Ohio, which was nationally prominent.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, Rockville BMX, which I think people still talk about now, hasn't, they've been dead for 30 years. But, so I said to this guy, Ray, I said, can I use your vendor contracts to buy and sell stuff? And he said, well, yeah, but you got to pay me in cash ahead of time, which was reasonable. I was 18 years old.
2: Yeah.
1: So this what my, my brother was 12. So I, every month I put an ad in BMX Today magazine that I, I, I printed on a dot matrix printer and cut, like, shrank and pasted on a copy machine and then gave it to the magazine. They put it in. And then if you called during the day, you either got my mom, who would tell you to call back, because I was working. I was working for Ford Credit uh, in between uh, going to school, or you'd get my brother. My brother got home at 3 o'clock. So my my brother is 12 years old would take your order. And because he was a jerk, he would argue with people. You don't want a TNT pro frame. Those (laughs) things break. And so then he would write down all the orders. So I would come home from Ford Credit at 445 and we, we would immediately get um, the, distri- the Ohio distributor on the phone before he closed at 5 o'clock. That was uh, Billy Danishek, at System Cycles. And we'd, we'd file the order. We'd call Seattle Bike Supply, which is Redline and a bunch of other stuff. I think SBS, they ended up owning Redline. They're like a big deal now. And um, so we'd call up or I'd call Moeller, you know, which getting Moeller on the phone was hit or miss, and order with him. And then we'd go to the bike shop. That and get the stuff that had been shipped to us previously. We'd unpack it, repack it, go to the UPS on Trayview Road by six o'clock and ship everything out, and then call people at home and give them the tracking number. And we did this every single non-race day for the better part of the year. Wow. And I loved it. And we met so many great people. We you know, met, met so many great riders, did so much stuff. And my father, God bless him. I know he's not watching. He do not even I was I was on national television in Malaysia racing for real money and he didn't bother to watch. I know he's not watching this. <laughs> he um he comes to me and goes, Let me tell you something, Jackson. This this BMX thing you're doing, it's for losers. It's and there's no future and this bike shop thing you're doing especially has no future. And I'm like, Dad, I'm actually getting somewhere. Like business is up. And he says, "Well, who's the who's the market leader in this in the segment?" Excuse the businessman. I said, "Dan's competition." He said, "How much does Dan's competition sell?" And I had a, I had a vague idea from the distributor. I said, "He's selling seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year of parts." He says, "That's that's not a that's not the net sales. That's a salary. That's how much somebody should make. That's not that's not how many how much bike parts you should sell at a five percent margin. Cause we were giving stuff away. I mean, we had we kept no margin." Mm-hmm. And um, he said, I want, you to, I want you to get rid of this and go back to work. So I called I called all the distributors, and I quit, and I went back to work. And that was in 1991 and a half. And, gosh, I want to say in 95 or 96, a company called Alloy bought Dan's Comp. And I think you had a podcast about kind of the history of Dan's, right?
0: A little bit, yeah.
1: And I don't know if they went into this, but the original Dan himself um, – he sold out to a, a venture capital firm called Alloy, and they reportedly paid him um, between eight and $10 million for the shop. Jeez. And keep in mind, we were, we were killing these guys, not in volume because we couldn't do it, but we'd have people leave Dan's and, and deal with us. We, we we made these t-shirts that said, friends don't let friends ride at Dan's, which seemed very, <laughs> very uh, edgy at the time. We called them dips competition. Um, one point I, I had this Land Rover that I, I pulled into a BMX race and blocked their storefront with for a day, just left it there. And then it was like down the down pit lane with my stuff and like, yeah, well they're pretty busy over there, you should come see us. But so I called my father, so I wanna let you know that this bike shop that we were beating the hell out of just sold for ten million dollars and I'm never taking your advice about anything again.
0: <laughs> wow. That is crazy. So, just to think that how different things could have been if you had kept at it.
1: Well, yeah, I could have real money. I could be um, I could be running in the Le Mans Prototype Two Challenge.
0: Um, <laughs> wouldn't have that neon anymore.
1: Wouldn't have that neon. I, I'd um, my my current my my big race car. It's the, the it costs about three thousand dollars an hour to run. So I really got to think about turning it on, and uh, I, I I could just run it all the time. I could go everywhere that could kind of money daily it daily i actually daily it i could uh i mean i'd have to keep mine has an inch and a half of ground clearance but um you know i could have somebody go ahead in front of me and flatten the road that kind of money yeah there you go yeah that's <laughs> a, this is where i'm gonna call my dad and yell at him again he's still alive i think you'd like to hear what i have to say <laughs> i could be
0: driving my race car every yeah, day could be a success, Dad.
1: <laughs> that's funny
0: so that was 91 what comes between that and uh, the website?
1: Well, so um, <clears throat> I was writing BMX Basics for the National Bicycle League, and it did pretty well. I mean, it's hard to tell you know, who liked it and who didn't. But in beginning of 97, and I'd always been kind of a tech guy, and I was aware of the World Wide Web, and I'd, I'd done a little bit of stuff. And so I think in February of 97, I opened up a BMX Basics website, where I would just also type in that month's column for the magazine
0: mm-hmm. online.
1: And <clears throat> in, initially, there was not much of a BMX web. A lot of it was on America Online because let's face it, BMX people, we've always been trash. You know We, we don't keep up with the, the latest and newest stuff. We're not, um, especially not back then. Like, so we were on, BMX people were on America Online way longer than the expiration date. and They'll be on Facebook way past Facebook expiration <laughs> date. You'll have BMX dads on Facebook 10 years from now, screaming into the void. Nobody's there left to, to read the post. But so uh, so I tried this website, and, you know, I had this little counter, and I'm like, gosh, I hope somebody comes to see it. And I think after the first month, and this keep in mind, all I do is mention it on in the magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, I had like 10,000 people read it. I'm like, well, that's pretty Jeez. nuts. So we, ke- we kept going, and... I had other people. I had a lot of international people, and back then, people would somehow get an issue of BMX Today in Singapore or something. And then they would write me a letter that would take three months to arrive, asking me for something, and I'd write back. And you'd have this correspondence. You'd hear two things from them a year.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And once we we're on the web, that kind of picked up. And and so Australian riders send in photos. Singapore just had a brand new BMX scene in '97. They were just getting started there. Now they have now they have real BMX over there, but. Um, all these international countries, and it kind of became like a little a focal point. we never need discussion forums. It wasn't time for that yet. But – and then eventually I registered. Initially it was infinite.com slash jboswell, so I was writing under the name Jim Boswell because uh, GT Bikes had had me kicked off with my regular name <laughs> from BMX Today, so they brought me back under a pen name. But um, – they're were, they're were right to do it too i said their hubs just I, I wrote this hub sucks somehow they printed it and then of course they got rid of me i should know that was going to happen and the the gt hub did suck back then it had these stupid collars that you had to tighten with an allen key and you had to hold the whole thing like you had to pinch the whole thing in your hand and tighten it up that again i can't explain horrible. how bad this stuff was but um anyway so I had bmxbasics.org, and then I quit, in 97, I quit writing the thing for, I quit writing for the for the magazine, which went fully online, and by then, uh, ended, sorry, by 99, and then we, by then there was like a BMX internet, there was BMX Mania, a guy named Jerry Landrum, you had, a couple, uh, you had a couple people who were doing BMX race sites, freestyle and trail riding was like slow to come up, back then the only way you knew what was going on with trail riding is you'd You'd have to wait to get a video like a VHS mm-hmm. cassette and sometimes VHS cassettes were so bad like there's so much stuff that didn't deserve to be captured on on <laughs> tape yeah there's this video and if you haven't seen it Brent, you have to come over and watch it it's called on the down low by uh, this guy called the gons mark Gonzalez.
0: I haven't seen it but I've heard of that name
1: yeah and it open I mean from a writer's perspective it opens with him doing a maybe a 12 foot drop to flat i mean something nobody had ever seen yeah but before that there was a 45 minute soap opera starring him and his girlfriend what? that was like this homemade movie about this love triangle between him and her and some other dude and we're watching this. Keep in mind, we'd paid $21 for this video.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like there are 10 of us in a room watching this. Nobody wants to speak up and say, fast forward this BS <laughs> because, you know, what if the great writing starts and you miss it and then the tape breaks or something? So we all sat there quiet as a mouse, almost like we're watching, you know, the dirty movie. <laughs> and at one point, you know, Gon's also trying to make out with this chick and everybody's like, and you don't have your phone to look at or whatever, so you don't mm. want to talk. It's super awkward. And then after 45 minutes of trash, Gonzalez jumps, a ra- bunny hops a three foot rail and does a 12 foot drop to flat. And we're like, oh, thank God. Now the riding has started. <laughs> um, there, was a, there was a video called uh, I'm, I Ain't Mad At You, the East Coast Ballers tape that had a bunch of BMX Pros flexing on a beach and talking about how their competitors were penguins and then like riding sit down wheelies. <laughs> and again, you couldn't, you had to pay money to see it. It was 1999. It was mm-hmm. terribly Had no choice. Um, so anyway, so there was like freestyle uh, street, street and trails were slow to come on the internet. And uh, you had uh, dig BMX, I think, which was one of the early ones and BMX board.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I kept that site going. And then, in two thousand four, like I said, I went to I went to Woodward to ride um, Cloud Nine, which I was really excited about. They just built it. And I actually rode rode Cloud Nine Lot Eight with Jamie Bestwick, who was a I mean, he's a monster now, but he was a monster then. He was
2: mm-hmm.
1: he was doing he was doing these huge alley oop airs just right on just just walk up. Oh, hey, hey boys, how are you? You know, fine weather we're having. Just walk up, drop in and do a, an alley oop air eight feet above the coping and then get and go, Oh, what's for lunch, you know? Um, so I went and rode cloud nine. I dropped it on cloud nine and my knee just gave out. I'm like, man, I'm done. I don't belong here. I'm not, I'm not riding at any kind of level. I'm just going to quit. So I closed the site, let the domain expire, did nothing with it. People said, do you want to sell it? I'm like, I'm not selling it to you. BMX isn't really about that. Just go out and build your own great website. That's free. Mm -hmm. And that was so stupid. I mean, I should have sold that too.
0: (laughs) Hindsight, right?
1: Yeah. Hindsight. Don't, don't give away your YouTube channel brand.
0: Oh, that's great advice. <clears throat> I will not do that.
1: That's funny.
0: So, it, at what point you told me that you designed frames and parts? At what point in time did that
1: happen? So, that would have been from uh, 91 to about 95. Okay. So, and who was that for? So, I had my own idea called the generic superbike. And a lot of this is race stuff. I want to kind of gloss over it, but nobody knew anything about bmx frame geometry we just didn't and this era, this thing like mike Laird does now where you go on his website and you say what geometry you want there's none of that yet
2: mm-hmm.
1: and some of the geometry choices were so bad a lot of the bikes had five inch head tubes which is just ridiculous my first bike had a 15 and three quarter inch top tube i was six foot three oh that's short every time i took a when i come out of the gate racing my belt buckle would hit the top tube pad like immediately half of the crashes back then were just people falling off the front of their bike in midair or falling <laughs> off the back of their bike in mid-air. Um, wow. the bikes were so bad and the uh, free agent limo which came out in 87 and this is it was 19 19 and three quarters inch top tube nobody had ever ridden anything like it It was a complete revelation more importantly it had a short back triangle mm-hmm and the combination of the long front end of the back triangle was and is the gold standard of street trail race bikes. But again, there were years where people ignored it. The first actual copy of the free agent limo was the S M Holmes, which was a... The only reason it wasn't an exact copy of the free agent limo is because Mueller couldn't find anybody who could weld consistently within two or three degrees. So it was supposed to be a complete copy of the free agent limo, <laughs> but it wasn't. It was just kind of like near a free agent limo. Um, <clears throat> so... I was of the opinion that you could do a 21 and a half inch top tube with a 14 and a half inch rear triangle, which nowadays is something you can order from Planet BMX with 10 different names on it. But back then was like saying that you should be able to fly using only your hands. So uh, I I did all the drawing, did all the CAD, um, tried to get people to build it. In the end, the guy who built some of it for me is a new named Bill Ryan at Supercross BMX. So he did a couple kind of test frames and I still have in my basement. there. half paint, half chrome, which I thought was neat because, you know, I didn't know. Chrome is so bad. I mean, I love chroming a BMX bike, but it just ruins the durability of the thing. I think half of the reason we broke so many bikes back then is because they were chromed and they were badly heat treated. And the chrome process itself eats away at the tempering and the surface strength of the steel. So mm-hmm. you really have to know what you're doing. And we didn't. We had no idea. Um then I had this amazingly stupid idea for something called the Razor Bike, and I was, I was obsessed with the idea of a quarter pipe or BMX race-ready $149 bike. Oh man. Like I, sp- I spent, I thought about this night and day, and I'd corresponded with the people who ran a company called Santana Cycles, who'd kind of re- revitalized tandems, and I talked to uh, the Breeze people, I talked to Alpine Stars. I'd corresponded overseas with English bike manufacturers. Keep in mind, again, all of this is one handwritten letter at a time, yeah. and you wait. And if you ever stop by, bro, I'm going to show you my letters from Moeller. And Moeller and I would write each other, and you know, three months would go by, and you, you know, you, that's the only way you could talk to the guy, or just mm-hmm. write a letter. And and if he didn't feel like writing, he didn't write. I mean, you've met him. This is not a this is not a man who lives his life in the literate fashion. And sometimes I just get drawings back, I'm like, what does this mean? But anyway, so what I wanted to do was I didn't think – actually, I knew that you could not do a genuinely race-ready bike for 149 bucks just by making stuff cheaper, which is how everybody did it. You take a frame and you make it mild steel. You mm-hmm. have a quill stem. You make the shaft of the stem mild steel, and then you press fit the, the top of the quill stem on, and you do it with a hydraulic press. And you don't swage it or whatever, and you save $0.51 cents that way. And then you do a single, you have a, what they call a single angle bend in the handlebars. So instead of like a sharpen out, you have it like that and that's a lot cheaper because you only have to have one bend angle in the handlebar. You just flip the thing as you're bringing it through. Mm-hmm. All sorts of things they did to make things a little bit cheaper, but they didn't, didn't result in a durable bike. So I sat down with this early CAD program and I went through this whole thing about a bike that existed in tension. So you would have rear cables instead of chainstays that would be tensioned by turnbuckles against a bottom bracket and then drilled through the bottom bracket to a bolt. Whoa. And the whole idea was to save the cost of tubing, and then it would strengthen the, the seat stay by putting it under tension. And one of the and this is it's like. If anybody's watching this, they're like, Jesus, I'm going to get off this thing. But one of the one of the critical bicycle construction principles is some materials are strong in tension. Some are strong in compression. Mm. Uh, as a real example, wood has no tensile ability to it. You would never want to, like, suspend a car on a wooden beam that had something drilled through it was hanging off it. So, <clears throat> so steel is good in tension. Steel is not good in compression. You can bend a steel bar much easier than you can pull it apart.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Aluminum is the other way around. Aluminum is much better in compression than it is in tension. Uh, Carbon fiber is good in tension, but only in the direction of the weave, things like that. This was all stuff back then. If you went to any BMX race or any any day at Woodward or at Louisville or whatever, you'd see people break bikes. It just happens, see frames break. Mm -hmm. So I went and looked at every frame. How did this break and why? So I ended up writing this 80 page document about how to build the perfect $149 bike using all new ideas it wouldn't be interchangeable with anything else it wouldn't be just like a crummy department store version of a great bike and then i sent it to every bike manufacturer in the world pretty much by mail having paid three dollars a piece and i waited uh for the tidal wave of people who wanted to make this 149 forty-nine dollar bike for kids and of course nobody gave nobody cared nobody was interested nobody wanted to retool nobody wanted to take the risk but I was obsessed with the idea of making BMX affordable. When I was still, at, I was at Miami University making $4 an hour and uh, made, making lunch for my more fortunate students. And I would go buy like Team Murray's and stuff and fix them up and drill them and give them to local kids and take them to a race. And I was just, it was like, and I could only do so much as one person. And I was obsessed with the idea that if I could build a bike that any kid in America could ask his dad for, and if his dad you know, had any kind of job, he could get it for him. And because and, people would drop out of the sport because their bikes broke. Yeah. And I bet that's still happening, right? You know? Oh yeah. <clears throat> if your bike breaks, it's, it's super demoralizing. And if you can't afford a new bike, you got nothing. So my, my idea was this $149 bike that a 120 pound kid could jump over a 10 foot tabletop and not have the forks buckle or have the wheel come apart. And yeah, I just thought it could save the sport. And we, and as you've probably been told by the old guys like, like uh, Gromdad and those guys, man, the 90s were pretty hard in terms yeah. of rider count. And I thought, we could just make it cheaper. You know, we could make it affordable for everybody. Yeah. And, um, So now you talk, some I'm going to cough.
0: You're good. Here, I'll, I'll mute you. You can cough all you need to. Uh that is crazy not only need to hear about the concept behind that but somebody also said here that they saw a vintage mountain bike that had a tension cable for a down tube
1: yeah <clears throat> alright unmute me now you're good forget mountain bikes dude We had that was a rip off of a BMX bike called the Jack Slingshot and the idea of the Jack Slingshot was that It had two tension cables for a downtube. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that when you came out, the bike would flex as you're up against the gate, and then it would spring out and give you an additional 2% power or something. And needless to say, these things broke the minute you looked at them. They're hugely valuable now.
0: I can't find a picture
1: of one. Yeah, it's... um I think Jax slingshot maybe.
0: Oh, okay. Nope, that brings up some women's clothing. That's crazy. Well, either way, it sounds insane.
1: I also never, never underestimate mountain bikers' ability to ruin something. <laughs> you gotta understand, I spend the. I spend more time riding. I don't even. I don't even ride 20-inch at Rays anymore because I'm, I don't feel I'm coordinated enough. I'm riding. It. I think every time you see me, I'm on a Ordnance or Mike Laird dirt jumper. But mm-hmm. um, mountain bikers will will spend an infinite amount of money on nothing, and that that has always been true. And the worse the worse we are as a rider, the more expensive we got. Like <clears throat> I I might have seen this on yours, but I got this thing called a Trek Session 9.9. 9. It was ten thousand dollars. And I've cleared one 42 foot gap on it. When I say gap, I mean, there's absolutely something underneath me. I was not taking a chance,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: I was like 007, right? I was no talent, no style on a $7,000 bike. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. Uh, slingshot BMX
1: frame is what someone told me. Yeah, to slingshot. Google. Yeah, it's it's out there. I mean, it's again. <clears throat> oh, my God. We had, we had, what in the heck? Is yeah, that? it doesn't look real, does it? Why? And of course it didn't work. It didn't work. It was like the Attic's Plastic Sprocket or um, what? any number of terrible ideas we had back then.
0: That just looks like a really bad crash waiting to happen. Okay. So, BMX has always tried crazy things.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh. Um, You know, the mag wheel was the original crazy thing. If you think about it that um
0: was that did that come after normal wheels
1: yeah well the so the mongoose moto mag was one of the first purpose-built bmx bikes i think it was 1974 Mm -hmm. and the the it was a magnesium wheel which is why we called it a mag wheel okay and it was i've got one i've original i have an original moto mag it is it's three pounds man it's heavy as hell yeah then skyway and then skyway acs and peregrine did a a glass fiber nylon wheel, the tough wheel, the Peregrine Master, the ACSC Mag Z wheel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the original mag wheel was magnesium because all those wheels immediately went out of true. So something like a magnesium wheel seemed like a good idea.
0: Okay. That's crazy. I didn't realize that normal wheels came first,
1: then the mag came out. Well, yeah, so the first BMX bikes, in theory, were the Stingrays. I mean, I, I'm guessing you've seen, like, the opening mm-hmm. scene of you know, on any Sunday. <clears throat> and for years, you know, Lynn Caston did the first Unicron fork, I think, in 74. Motomag came right after that. And all, all these bikes sized for a 10-year-old. Yeah. They're yeah. all hugely fragile. They all <clears> – <throat> and this is – I could talk about this way beyond anybody's ability to hear it, but <clears> – <throat> they were all crippled by this idea they had to be dimensionally identical to a Schwinn Stingray because that was the default race bike.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, like, I don't know, do you ride a mid-bottom bracket now on your bike?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think BMX is pretty much all in the freestyle world switched to mid.
1: Yeah, Um, I've got a mid on my Lair frame. But we didn't have, we had a one-inch threaded headset
0: Mm -hmm. because that's
1: what Stingray had. You had the big shell, non-threaded bottom bracket, the diameter of the axles, 3 eighths inch axle, That's comes from the Stingray.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: original seat post diameter, 7 eighths, because that's what a Stingray was. <clears throat> and all this stuff, even if you get a, you know, you get a brand new BMX grip right now, whether it's like uh, ODI long neck or something, that will go fit on an original Sh- uh, Schwinn Stingray.
0: The tubing size of our handlebars is literally from that.
1: Yeah, 7 eighths. Um, this... I was at the workshop of a guy named Chip Foose a couple of weeks ago in L.A., who's kind of a car guy who's been on TV. Mm-hmm. I've heard of him. And he was showing me this red line BMX bike he restored. And he, he raced BMX and, and repainted BMX bikes before he got into cars. And we were going through, and he says, what's a modern bike like? And I said, man, a lot of this stuff still moves over. You know, particularly we, we, we had a 14-millimeter axle thing for a while, but I don't know who's riding – is 14 millimeter axles, what percentage of the market is that?
0: Well, for a rear hub in a freestyle yeah. bike, it's like 90%. It's
1: universal. Yeah, okay? I would say. Probably
0: more um... than 90%, honestly.
1: Okay. Because my dirt jumpers are 3 8 now and my, my Laird frame is a 14.
0: Yeah, when it comes to the dirt jumpers and other bikes, they're probably different, but freestyle bikes, I feel like you kind of need it more.
1: Yeah, I would say so. And when the fourteen when the fourteen mil axle came out, it was actually kind of a godsend because people broke axles all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And, so you were talking with Chip about fourteen mil.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, we we're talking about how much of stuff still moves over. Like, how how much stuff you could take off his nineteen seventy five redline that he's got in his shop and put on a modern BMX bike. Was a and lot. It's, it's a fair amount. I mean, a lot less now than ten years ago. Yeah. Like the, the advent of disc brakes, <clears throat> you know, brakeless riding being kind of the, the default for most people in freestyle. Um, the a headset, I'm embarrassed to say that I I wrote a whole bunch of stuff in public about how the headset was a stupid idea and would never work like a threadless headset mm-hmm. because the original heads headsets were so bad, That's and they were, they were they were you couldn't keep them tight, and you couldn't keep you couldn't keep tension on the stem. And the original stems, the clamps were so bad that a lot of them relied on that little stupid top cap to put tension in them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, you'd see, you see somebody come off a big jump in AMA or something, and the whole bars would come off and they'd be uh, they'd be loose. <clears throat> or you had all these three-piece forks. And we had a guy. So the the national Christmas Classic and the national championships used to be in Columbus uh-huh. down and, one year I was I was racing racing uh, vet pro I think or something and we see this guy go over the jump in, in the first straight and his forks come apart like his legged forks like crown forks
2: mm-hmm.
1: and when he lands and he's wearing an open face helmet so it was an era of open face helmets and he lands and it puts his jaw through his windpipe just so like the jawbone just cuts his windpipe off and um, so somebody who's been waiting to do this their whole life I think cuts his windpipe and jams a tube in there and yeah. that's what saved his life but like all sorts of stuff would just, just completely break on you for no reason in yeah. the earlier headset and, and Crown Fork era. Whoa.
0: That's crazy. That that's super crazy to think about. I mean, I I feel like we're definitely very lucky to have bikes where they are today.
1: Well, you're doing a lot more with them and the, the two go hand in hand. If um it would be when I when I see I see people riding, even like he, even um, some of the young guys you ride, with, like a guy like Gage or whatever. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have done any of that stuff on a on a Hutch Trickstar. You know, yeah. you, the bikes just weren't reliable enough. So, it's you guys are making full use of it, which is is great to see. And even even me, I mean, I'm <clears throat> I hit bigger stuff now. than I'm 51 years old, and I my son and I went to Bentonville to that Riveter. Yeah. And I was hitting stuff at the Riveter at 14 years old. There's nobody in America who would have tried that stuff. You know, the, I think my, my kid did the last jump at Riveter. I paced that off. That's almost 30 feet. Mm-hmm. And in 1986, if you did a 30-foot jump... A, they would have you would have been on the cover of BMX Action permanently. <laughs> you know they would have named GT would have named a bike after you. You would have had to have had your own clothing line, I and mean, it would have been. And now there are you know twelve year old kids doing it, not really thinking anything of it. So, mm-hmm. so, it's, um, it's yeah. neat.
0: it's crazy to talk about the evolution of things. And I mean, from what I'm gathering here, when you're talking about how you write about, uh, you've written about like the headset and, and things of that nature. It, it feels like you've kind of always like pushed against the, the grain of like with your own personal beliefs of things towards what you feels right. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about that, but I also want to get your perspective on the BMX industry today. If you pay attention to it at all.
1: I, I do. And I, I think my perspective on it is that, <sighs> It's great to see people doing stuff in sh- small batches, stuff, but I can't stand the fact that the whole industry is overseas,
2: mm.
1: and I can't stand the fact. I mean, listen, I so I've I recommend Sunday bikes to people. Like somebody comes up, man, I, you know, I'm 18 years old, I want to ride half buck, Go get a Sunday Sound Wave. You know, you know, it's not going to break. Mm-hmm. But when I, I keep spreadsheets to see what my bikes cost. Like so, my son, I had um, he he's on his Defcon four, but you know you know who I mean. What's his name? The guy who built the bikes for Gabriel Burns. Um, it'll come to Dutch, Dutch bikes.
0: Okay. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. So I had him build a park bike for my son. I went through and we did titanium everything. It was like thirty nine hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And I keep track of what everything costs me. All my my Laird bikes, my dirt jumpers, and all this stuff is too expensive. Every, everything. And <clears throat> I got to think, and I'm just, I made the same mistake 30 years ago. I'm going to make it here now in front of you. I got to think there's a way to do a $500 bike in America, mostly that you could ride at the outside line at Profile World and not have it break in half. It just has to be. I mean, wh- why else have all these CAD CAM cycles available? Why else have all this small batch manufacturing, whatever, right?
0: Yeah, it's hard to say because there's a lot of things that there's like literally there isn't a single one made for a freestyle BMX bike in the U.S. Like like tires, twenty-inch tires, you literally can't get that are made here. Uh, Rims, I don't know if there's a single freestyle rim made here. I know there's other like racing rims. I think there's some carbon rims that might be made
1: here velocity makes a great double wall 26 inch this is a this is a commercial message brand okay velocity rims and grand rapids new york or grand rapids michigan i'm i'm 245 pounds and i can do loading docks without breaking them so but mm. they don't make a 20 inch right so yeah I don't, I don't think there's an american 20 inch freestyle rim
0: then pedals at least
1: yoshimura five Dev. But, but those that's are rare. expensive too, aren't They're they? They're super expensive. Yeah, you, I have a bunch of Yoshi pedals, man. I, actually, I gave David Lee a set of Yoshi pedals because he couldn't get a set. Yeah. I'm never going to get those back. <laughs> those are those are two hundred bucks. Right. The whole bike should be five hundred bucks. But what it is is, and we see this in other industries too, where people think that USA made means boutique. Mm-hmm. So only boutique stuff gets done here. Every Huffy sold in America, every ninety nine dollars Stu Thompson BMX bike. Was made in dayton ohio front to back all the parts everything made in this kind of river rouge style production facility mm-hmm. and those bikes were trash but they were trash because they were 99 dollars because they were made in america mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yeah i mean when i when i look at the industry now i see a couple things i see um a huge focus on identical overseas stuff where they just slap some kid's name on it yeah and I see very few riders making an effort to learn how to design and build their own parts. I think you have the OEMs are just so focused on it. I mean, when, when you have guys who are 50 years old, my age design and BMX bikes, that shouldn't be, I don't, I can't ride like you. I don't know what the bike needs. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's part of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of that catalog type stuff that exists. There's a, there's a, amount of people who are having input on their own stuff but there's also a fair amount of people who are being told by the companies like this this is gonna be your thing <laughs>
1: like yeah so that's you know that's kind of my beef with it. I think we should do more of it here and I think um, and I, I don't know I'm not gonna speak about the, the whole edit craze and you got to drop a new edit stay relevant or whatever I, I understand every everything's based around social media now I mean everybody wants other people to see him ride it's just kind of you know i i will say this i kind of miss the days of going to the trails and not seeing a single video camera or gopro or whatever and i'm as guilty of that as anybody else my poor son is the most over recorded human being in history i won't let him take a single downhill run without turning the gopro on (laughs) so i i understand that but you know, a lot of what, um, a lot of what you do at like Apple Creek and stuff is about getting people to just enjoy the sport in the moment
2: mm-hmm.
1: and anything we can do to, to get people enthusiastic about it and just, uh, it doesn't matter what a great rider you are. I mean, you are actually, I remember you are super encouraging to my, my idiot son who completely underpedaled and nosed into that opener <laughs> at Apple Creek. And, um, and the, 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 it was kind of funny because he's so, he's so angry with himself. Like, just do it again. It's like, no, no, I'm not going to embarrass myself in front of Brant Moore. Um, but, you know, we have more stuff in the moment and let people – know. not everything you do has to be um, – like this is this guy, Devin Smelly, and I used to work with his – his dad, Chuck Smelly, owned a shop called Board of Bikes. They were an early mosh dealer, and mm. I, I bought and resold a lot of mosh stuff from him. And man, I watch what Devin can do. You know, it's not even human. Right. This guy's doing, like, a 180 reverse manual onto a rail and stuff like that. Um, and you can have so much fun in BMX. You can have so much fun in BMX if you can't bunny hop two feet. Mm-hmm. I've seen people enjoy BMX for 20 years who can't – I mean, what's it, uh Steve Crandall, right, the FBM guy? Yeah. I think he rides a little, he rides a little bit now because I see it on. But, man, there were, when I was racing pro, he didn't ride. He just held a camera. He just drove the van for people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that guy enjoyed the heck out of BMX. Yeah,
0: still you know, does. You know, yeah,
1: still does. Right, and you don't have to be—you know, you don't have to be able to do a um, gosh, just trying to. Who I must have been Gage, who did a flare off, a, like a park transition or something. So this is harder than it looks. I'm like, well, that must be terrible because it looks like nobody can do it.
0: Yeah yeah it's an interesting perspective I kind of want to talk more about the the bike thing because like there's I think the the bare minimum for what I would really really suggest to somebody who's like serious about riding is kinks whip bike which is full chromoly frame fork bars sealed front and rear hub double walled rims mid bottom bracket integrated okay. headset and it is 550 bucks so
1: Yes, that's a little bit above, like, the entry-level fit stuff, right? Most of the fit stuff is, like, 399
0: Yeah, and the top of the line fits 480 I think.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> I think, yeah, I, t- I, I, tell, I tell, like, kids under 12 to try the Sunday Primer, but with the understanding they're going to break something on it mm-hmm. as soon as they go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's, yeah, that that kink whip, right? It's all pretty generic stuff.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's all no-name stuff
1: one of the things I, I don't understand is this is probably too detailed for what you're talking about but this idea that everybody every bike now has to have a crummy copy of profile cranks on it <laughs> why why does why does every 199 nine dollar bike in america have to have bad three-piece cranks on it
0: i think three-piece cranks are just the standard
1: they they are right but the, the here's the thing there's a lot of there's a lot of cost in three-piece cranks yeah and <clears throat> One of the things that we did, I think, better back in the day was you had a forged one piece crank, which was $18, mm-hmm. and it would bend but not snap because it was forged steel. And actually, most of them were made in Ashtabula, Ohio, and had Ashtabula stamped on them. Hmm. And, and you could bend them back. Yeah. And then I, I would say that the biggest failure I see up at Rays with people with cheap bikes is the, uh, the boss weld from the crank from the crank boss that slides onto the, the axle mm-hmm. to the box to the box of the crank That's that's been a failure point since the Redline flight crank came out in the age of the dinosaurs and it's it's no better now by taking the absolute cheapest steel you can find in Taiwan making it paper thin so you can quote a low uh, total weight and then indifferently welding it on you know in the dead of night while somebody holds a gun to your head
2: mm-hmm
0: yeah it's i don't know it's tough because those budget bikes are just always gonna be like that and i feel like at least in these days even the cheapest three-piece crank might still be better than a one-piece at least in riding it go
1: how i don't know Uh, We may have to test that, but we're going to get a set of astribules and have you jump them. Like I said, they bent. They bent all the time. They are never true, but they didn't snap on you when you landed. And again, the way I see riders get hurt, if you think about all those concrete floors at Rays and Mikes and places like that, last thing you want to do is have any kind of interface with that concrete floor coming in, landing off a jump.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. You'd you'd be better off hitting your head on the rafter.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So... That's interesting. What, what do you think as far as what you pay attention to? I mean, we talked a little bit about it already, but like the stuff BMX could do to help itself.
1: I think. Well, if, if I'm going to put racing as a racing is a is a different thing. Racing has its own problems that nobody cares about, in the in the, in your listener group, the most important thing to get for young people is to get them on a bike that doesn't break mm-hmm. and to put them in an environment where people support them and i think raise goes a long way in that direction with some decent they have decent rental bikes and those are i think those are kinks that they rent up there most of the time right yep and i think um what would be really neat and not not to get political but in the past three four years i've seen companies spend seven, eight, nine figures on stuff for various feel-good cred, you know, no matter which side of the political divide you're on, right? So <clears throat> if some if some company were to say, and this was something that I, I used to do individually at, at racetracks when I was in my 20s, I would say if anybody showed up who's racing for, for the first time, I would pay their entry fee, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have a bike, I had one bike available for them to borrow. I think it would be great if you had some maybe, you know, uh, Red Bull or or Monster or something like that just flat out say any kid in America who's under the age of 16, you show up at a place like Ray's, Pump Track or whatever, we're going to do something to put you on a bike and, and get you going. Because it's the school sports make that possible, right? If you, like, you know, I, I don't recall paying much to play basketball at Dublin high school back in the day. Mm -hmm. You know, my brother played, uh, my brother won a state championship in football and we used to joke that that, you know, it cost him less to play football for four years than it cost us to run the Christmas nationals (laughs) on a BMX bike. So, you know, the competition is funded externally. So Mm. it wouldn't hurt us to be funded externally as well. And, you know, if I, if I ever, um, you know, if I ever sell a book or something or get a, a halfway decent executive job, i would um i'd make it possible for kids to come in at rays and time and time again my, i've seen kids ride at rays all day come in in the morning go you know beginning tonight on a rental bike doing everything they can and i'll talk to them because you know I, you know maybe i'm, I'm old and tired but I, I need to, it, i gotta rest for like 10 minutes between those profile world runs <laughs> and i'll talk to people and um or you know, like you know that downhill run from the top uh, where yeah, everybody the, sits up there. the green line. Yeah, I can do that. Well, I can hit that like six tables, and then I got to go up and sit for ten minutes. Yeah. So I talk to people, and I'm like, "You coming back tomorrow?" And surprisingly often, the question is, "No, this is all the money I've got." So, BMX, BMX is like crack, man. It sells itself. Mm-hmm. And if and if the the two things that kill kids in BMX are, they can't afford it, and <clears throat> They get i think the current phrase is gatekeeping you know people treat them like trash because they're riding backwards on the pump track or because they don't know the rules or they're in somebody's way
3: mm-hmm.
1: or you know they're not very good and they're embarrassed and i mean god knows that that you and your guys and you know horaki and people like that do god's work in in keeping that from happening right yeah. I've, you know I've, at the lebanon i think i was there you were at the lebanon pump track a long time ago the one in um, the one north of Cincinnati, huh, the, the huh. tour down. Region. I haven't been there. I think it was it was <clears throat> it was some young rider who, just, who was working there all day with people, and he never got to ride. You know, mm-hmm. might, I thought it was you because it was the kind of thing I thought you would do, but <clears throat> it might have been um, uh, might have been Gage. But anyway, this idea of if the older riders who everybody respects, if you guys take ten minutes out of your time to focus on a twelve-year-old or a ten-year-old. And you know, for every kid, and this is something we talked about beforehand, for every kid whose father is determined to mold them into the next Devin <laughs> Smilly, there are there are a hundred dads who don't understand, don't care about it, don't don't support it. My dad was like that. My father never you know, he just supported any high school sport I did, but he hated BMX. Yeah. <clears throat> and so anything we can do. If you see a kid at the pump track, he's ninety percent of the way to be on a rider. Yeah. And I try to do it, but let's let's face it, man. I'm I'm old. I don't ride all that well. I don't have a huge amount of credibility. I look like somebody's dad, which I am. So when I when I talk to some fifteen year old about, hey man, you want to, you know, I see you're trying to get around the pump track. They don't want to listen to me. They're they're surprised, you know.
3: Mm. I'm
1: not, uh, you know, they're for diabetes treatment or something. So it takes it takes the younger riders who have credibility to sit down with them and, and work with them and if you do that with a couple those people will come back and they'll figure out a way to do it
0: yeah yeah that happens at Rays. i i see it a bit where we're we're hanging out and the younger kids there and goes and just try and give them guidance on whatever they're trying at the time and, and it's been cool to see those kids get older and get better with time.
1: It is a, the thing that I, the thing. It's easy for me to forget, and maybe for a lot of adult writers to forget. Is, raise is hugely expensive. Raise is what twenty-two dollars a day.
0: I think it's more than that
1: now. It, it might be more than that, and. I think there the number of kids in America who can't put their hands on twenty-two dollars a day is probably a lot bigger than the number of kids who can. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of the stuff has to happen. at, Like that new um, that new trail in Cleveland yeah man that's a hell of a place that's incredible yeah but when i went my son and i went to cliffs right when it was getting dark all these kids riding backwards crossing the track or whatever and then you got a bunch of 18 year olds up there cussing at them Mm. and not really offering any advice just like get off the get off the trail right yeah and you know i think each one of us i I I started in BMX because there was a guy in my neighborhood who raced BMX, and I wanted to be like him. He was cool. He was 17 years old. He drove a Fiat convertible. I wanted to win races like him. And by the time I was 16 and he was 19, I could have have coasted two pedals out of the gate and still beat his ass. I'll never think he was that good. (laughs) But, you know we get started in this you might you might come out cause you saw a video or something or because you just like the bikes but it's the interactions of riders like you that make that make permanent riders out of people hmm and as weird as it sounds the kids like um, what young Huck Kerensky those guys those guys the kids who are really getting it done don't need any encouragement they know they're getting it done they know they're doing a great job um, you know kids who have a lot of talent the the 12 year olds who are clearing all the blue line stuff in the middle at Rays those guys don't need any encouragement, they know that they know they're know they doing great, but the kids who are back wheel bunk and the, uh, the beginner section,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know,
1: who are making that weird kind of shifty motion when they pull up, yeah, those, those are the people you have to focus on, because they're the ones who are at risk of quitting because they're not seeing any progress, <clears throat> and then you go home, and then they can play, you know, Call of Duty Warzone with you and me, right? And to some degree, and this is something I talk to my son about a lot, the video games are so good now that and they're so rewarding and they're so easy to stick to that even I have trouble. I mean, I should have been at, I should have gone to Rays this weekend and go to Rays i sat at home and played video games. Yeah. Now imagine imagine you're 13 years old and you can't get over the the beginner section at Rays. You're absolutely just going to drop in al uh, Almazur and play a little bit, right? So
0: oh, so you're going to do something else. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it's so like I said, I try to encourage kids, but I'm old. I'm I'm completely uncool and um so what i ask is anybody any of any of your guys you ride with or whatever please pick some loser some fat kid, some guy on a, on a um what do they call the next bikes the ne- mm. next is like the current terrible bike spend half an hour with a kid on a next bike when you go somewhere and that that kid could be the kid who ends up well i'll tell you tell you one thing you know the the dayton thing that they just built the dayton pump track yeah So, you know, the, you know, the kid who mostly got that through the, uh, through the city council is a kid who couldn't afford a bike. And I, I gave him one of my son's bikes that we bought, that we bought that didn't fit him. He didn't like, Mm -hmm. I gave this kid the bike. He was a terrible racer. I mean, he was, I can't express to you how bad he was. He was so bad that you'd have kids unclipping and falling out of the gate on the moto behind them because it was taking them so long to get through the track. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, if, if it was a five-person race, it would be four kids, then 20 seconds, and this kid. He's a, <laughs> he's a terrible rider. I, mean, he, I just can't express how – I wouldn't tell him this, but he's so bad. I, I rode with him. I thought, he is hopeless. And uh, But what he is is he's really smart, and he's really, uh, really forthright with people. And he went to the city council there in Huber Heights or whatever that is. And he and his mom, and they don't have any money, they just kind of yelled at the city council for two years until they got momentum to do that park. Wow. And so he was there on opening day with a scooter because he didn't want anybody to see him ride a bike. And I it because of this one kid, and it wasn't, I, you know, I gave him a bike, but there were people in the, in the community who rode with him, who, who lifted him up, who, you know, uh, encouraged him to race and stuff. And because of that, now you got this great place. There's a There's the pump track, which is not a great pump track. Pump track, dirt jumps, and a skate park right there in downtown Dayton.
0: Wow. That's incredible.
1: So anybody, you know, if you see a kid who looks like he has no business on a bike, he may not have any business on a bike, but he may he may be the kid who can get your spot built or who be the next Steve Crandall or somebody like that who can make a huge difference to the sport, even if they can't, you know, do so much as, um, you know, clear a four foot gap.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, you just never know who you're looking at or who's watching you or anything like that yeah what's your thoughts somebody brought this up and I think it's a very relevant topic right now Is uh, what's your thoughts on free public skate parks that don't let bikes in
1: man I can't um, you know I pay a lot of taxes I've paid a lot of taxes in my life and yeah. um I, I have nothing good to say about communities politicians interest groups skate groups who push for that yeah and you know what the, the the thing that makes it saddest is was when i was a kid now it is true that skaters and bmxers would occasionally scrap at like dodge park and columbus or something but we were we were downtrodden together you know right. we, you know we were looking out for football players giving us a swirly mm-hmm. and skating has become this completely like gen x dad violin class thing where you take your dopey little kid who has no business skating and you make him skate right And you buy them all the stuff you wish you had and then you go and have a skate park put in and every every skate park should let bikes in it's it's not it shouldn't be optional <laughs> My son and I, we, we we actually went and rode at Venice in California,
2: Oh man. which
1: which is a bit dramatic, right? Because yeah. Venice has some real thug people there day and night, and he was afraid. He didn't want to drop in. I'm like, I'm dropping in once in Venice. I'm 48 years old, and what are they going to do? Kill me? Yeah. And it was pretty empty, but the the fact that you know, you and I are sitting here in Ohio, knowing the fact that you ride at Venice skate park, you were asking to get shot in the face. Mm-hmm. This now that being said I have seen too many guys on a bike cause hell and havoc on skaters to not <clears throat> understand why they want it that way yeah and you and I both know that if you, need, if you want to make a big move <clears throat> on a bike in a skate park you need velocity
2: mm-hmm.
1: and when you got people riding brakeless dipping in and out of stuff at full crank and you got little kids trying to you know trying to Push themselves across. I understand it. So, <clears throat> but this is not an unsolvable problem. You just say, "Hey, man, Tuesdays and Thursdays are bike nights,"
3: mm-hmm.
1: and Monday and Wednesdays are skate only nights. And if you, see, and I'm trying. What's What's the park? What, what's There's a bike park. I can't think of what it is. It's It's someplace place and might be in St. Louis where <clears throat> they may. Oh. <clears throat> it's in uh, It's in Utah. My son and I drove through they have two outdoor skate parks that are bikes only. And they got these big brass signs that say no skateboards. And I thought that's just as bad. Right. But Yeah. We got, we got to share. And again, this is what it takes to change is it takes guys like you, it takes people in their twenties who are reasonable, who, who don't look like they're, who don't, don't look like problematic people, I guess, who are willing to go to a city council and say, everybody's taxes paid for it you know and mm-hmm. that's you know the amount of taxes i paid in the city of columbus over the years to have dodge dodge be uh no bikes is ridiculous in fact they got columbus police enforcing it in a city where half of the murders don't go don't get I've solved i've never even heard of dodge being no bikes Do- if you go read city of columbus website dodge is no bikes
0: that's weird because i've Never heard anybody. Yeah, because people ride dodge, right? Yeah. But
1: CPD will enforce it, and um, they—they, I think Todd Lyons and you'd have to—I think Todd Lyons got arrested for riding there. Of course, because it was Todd. He's like, "Hey, bro, I'm just gonna sit around here until somebody arrests me." But um, (laughs) the, um, yeah, and as long as we're on that topic, my son and I—we went riding in Harlem uh, a couple months ago. We rode from 150th Street in New York down to the World Trade Center and back. Yeah. And we saw these guys ride, like the Bike Life guys, raising the front wheel and stuff. Like it or not, we've got to reach out to them too, and yeah. and treat them as equals, just what, like we want the skaters to do with us. I, you know, I was in Times Square. I was talking to these four young guys on uh, on SE Big Flyers, and they clearly had no respect for me. I did a couple hops. I challenged them to hop as high as I could, and they couldn't, which I thought was funny, but um we're all gonna we we need a little bit of unity and unfortunately with the skate parks it's not even the skaters so much it's the municipalities right so we all got to go to our local municipalities and ask for it. If you know if you you're a taxpayer you're a grown man who pays taxes in the area if you've got a job that doesn't is not fry cook not not that I haven't cooked a lot of fries but if you know if you have a, re, a real job then put on a tie and go to the city council meeting and raise the issue and if people do it 50 times they'll change it yeah uh a
0: couple of things brian hareki oh is in the here the great and,
1: brian hareki yeah yeah
0: as well as supercross bmx
1: oh, bill ryan yeah the the uh, bill ryan the the uh one of the founding fathers of of mid-school and modern bmx
0: yeah but Uh, Brian just said he got a $193 ticket for riding a park in Atlanta and a few minutes before that he said he had a 16 year old kid ask if he wanted to buy weed
1: (laughs) yeah well this is a separate conversation but enforcing bikes is always going to be easy yeah. It's always going to be easier than busting people for selling weed. And you have a choice. I've, I've dipped on cops many a time on the bikes. I don't do it now since I'm 51 years old. I, is there a problem, officer, like I put on my adult face? <laughs> yeah. You know, it helps if you're standing next to a Range Rover or something. But um, yeah, $193 t- ticket in a city where nothing gets enforced. And you're not going to, this isn't something you're going to handle on an individual cop basis. I got a friend who rides at Fort Wayne, which is no bikes. Mm hmm. And he got the sticker said my bike identifies as a skateboard yeah he says yeah i know the sheriff and he's cool and he lets us ride like that's great and when they reassign that sheriff you gotta do the work all over again so why don't you take your grown-up ass to the city council and ask him to change it for all the kids who don't know the sheriff
0: yeah oh yeah absolutely it's uh it's a crazy thing there's a current like there's a current post from a mayor of hurricane West Virginia who they just built a skate park and he posted a video just of the park and a couple people using it and then the rules and it says first rule is no bikes allowed at the skate park and there've just been tons of people sharing this post and saying like go leave a constructive like well-worded response to this thing and it's just wild to see and then there was a whole thing Last week, from a rider in Michigan, talking about modern skatepark parking or ski, yeah, modern, yeah, skate park.
1: modern, which is bikes on Tuesday nights only, I believe.
0: It's Tuesdays and Thursdays from six to eight, maybe eight thirty. I think it's just six to eight, yeah. and they if and his post was about if a BMX rider wanted to buy a pass for a certain period of time, they had to pay the same amount as a skateboarder would, who has access to like literally something some crazy number of more hours per month and the the modern instagram handle was in the comments on that post saying things like if if you want more time at the skate park get people together and rent it out after our hours and then
1: oh yeah that's a great idea
0: yeah, and and it costs three hundred dollars, and they put an example of like if you get twenty people, it costs only this much per whatever, and and it's just like, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like there's this this skate hate towards BMX that p- people are trying to claim doesn't exist anymore, but definitely does exist.
1: Well, I gotta I gotta say, and I, I sound like my father when I say this, but we gotta we gotta own a little bit of it, because. You got, and again, I understand riding brakeless is what's done now, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't have the skill to do it. But the number of times I've been at a park and I've seen a guy drop in brakeless and take a line that uses up 80% of the park. Mm-hmm. And every, every nine-year-old whose mommy and daddy are sitting there watching them be a, the next Tony Hawk have to watch the kid cower in the corner while somebody comes ripping around on their Sunday sound wave at 24 miles an hour so that they can blast from one hip to the next. Yeah, You know, we all, as BMX people, we're pretty good at uh, minding our own community at a place like Ray's, right? You don't see a lot of people cross and get hurt at Ray's. Like we all know that the really great riders are allowed to ride profile world backwards, but you can't do it when the the kids are dropping in on the inside line. Mm -hmm. We're pretty good at at minding our own business and handling our own business at places like the pump tracks and all that. But at the skate park, very few riders in their teens and 20s have the kind of discipline to wait 10 or 15 minutes for a line. And, you know, talking about modern, I I you know, I was. I worked in Ann Arbor for a couple of years. I rode modern on Tuesday nights. And there was a line I like to take where I had to go across the park. I'm 40-something years old. I'm 200-something pounds. I'm on a dirt jumper. And I had to have my eyes up the whole time. And about half of the time, I'd have to abort mm-hmm. for a kid on a scooter who's coming in. Yeah. And there are too many young riders like, now, the hell with that. I'm going to finish my line and these kids are going to get out of the way. And you have the right to do it. God bless you. Go out and do your thing. But understand that kid and his mom and his dad will go to the city council meeting and make sure that the next park doesn't include you. Yeah. You know, we dig dig our own grave for that. And it's not fair. It's not fair that we need more space to run up than the skaters do. It's not fair that so much of the stuff that, like, I think you're the least likely you know, you do more lip tricks and more slow speed stuff and more stuff that uses a single ramp than any other rider I've ever known since Martin aparejo And um, <laughs> but yet yeah, even you, man, you know, at that, that little Newark or Norwalk skate park, or whatever near Apple Creek, I forget which which town was. Uh, Wooster. Wooster, yeah. I mean, you need to come down off one side and go over the box and go up, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you need the whole line for that. And Let's face it, that, that same area can take ten kids on skateboards skateboards. So we need to so what I'll say to, to riders is be an ambassador for your sport, which is watch your line. If you see a kid coming in, there is nothing in the world that stops you from going over and telling an eight year old kid, Do you mind letting me take this run and then I'll give it back to you? That's you know, nobody'll think you're a creep, nobody'll think you're weird. It's not beneath you to do it. It's not beneath you to go ask two kids to hold off their line, you know? Yeah. And if we all did it, then the skaters wouldn't hate us as much. I understand why they hate us. It's not because we're somehow cool and they're not. It's because we both know that in any bike and skater collision, particularly if it's a full-size dude like me or Gage or Horaki, who's six foot nine. <laughs> um <laughs> You know the, the skater loses in a really big way hmm so that's that's the end of my rant I I think that bikes should be should have equal time yeah I mean condos we can let scooters in, we can let bikes in but again from this you know I talked to guys um, you know uh, skate naked right do you ever ride there in Columbus
0: I was only there one time before they let bikes in for just to go to a skate contest that they had because somebody from up here was going to it while i was living down there
1: i mean i go to skate naked sometimes with my with my boy and man we negotiate stuff because you got all these tatted guys look like they're in the the crips you know skating (laughs) in there and and you go to go hey SA, do you mind would it trouble you too much if i went hauling ass across this and jumped these two boxes because i need the space Mm -hmm. and most of the time i go yeah man you know not not too long because i gotta skate too like, yeah that's
0: fine. Yeah there's definitely an element of that where I think if people just realize that it's a two-way street in those situations and all you have to do usually is ask it's it's in my mind it's pretty similar to the concept of skate park etiquette in an eight-year-old kid who's never been to a skate park in that you can't expect someone to think about something until they're exposed to it
1: or someone just says something about it so it's similar there's nothing natural then the the car analogy not that anybody asked for it but one of the cars i race is called a radical sr8 yeah it's 1700 pounds 480 horsepower it is it's an inch and a half off the ground i do 158 miles an hour on the back straight at mid ohio the SCCA has me in there with these 900 horsepower Camaros that also do 160 miles an hour on the back straight at Mid Ohio. They can't see me over their door. Oh, okay. And if we collide, I get decapitated and they get a they get a dent on their fender. So when I go race with those guys, I walk around the pit and say to them, "My name's Jack. This is my this is my son." please look for me because we're doing 158 miles an hour on that back straight. And if you move over, move over without looking, I'm going to die. It's as simple as that. There's no two ways. I hit the, if I hit the concrete wall at that speed, there's, it's, it's a hundred percent certainty. And there's one guy to his credit, this 50 year old dude who said, go to hell. I don't care what happens to you. Just stay out of my way. (laughs) Jeez. And, uh, so I stayed out of his way, you know, and then, um, you know, I'm thinking. I, don't, I hope I see that guy skating it, skate naked. I'm gonna knock him over. But, <laughs> but uh, the whole idea is, is we can each make a mistake, but the mistake's only fatal for me. So he has an additional responsibility. For a brakeless rider going to go bowl to bowl against a ten-year-old kid who's looking to do an ollie on the flat ground in front of his parents, <clears throat> all, both of those people can make a mistake. We both know the kid will make the mistake, not you. But it's it's painful for him more than for you. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel I feel like we beaten this one into the yeah, ground. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm. <laughs> it's okay. It's,
1: old no. people like to lecture, Brant. This happens to you. It'll happen to you. I do the same thing. I do it too. It's okay.
0: But I'm also curious from your perspective because you're someone who I feel knows the at least the automobile media side of things pretty in depth. And I'm curious if you paid attention to BMX media at all.
1: You know, a, a little bit, but honestly, I can't get through any of the vlogs. You know, it's like, I don't have that kind of patience. Mm-hmm. In I won't watch anything where it starts off with a guy going through his house and loading up the bike and talking for eight minutes before he gets to the spot. That's, yeah, well, that's I wouldn't call that
0: BMX media anyways. I'm, I mean, like, the stuff that uh, a dig posts or uh, our oh. BMX, that, that <sighs>
1: media. I, You know, I'll look at it to find out what products are out. But other than that, I think any, any enthusiast media in the modern era, and I know the finances of this better than most people, because I ran ran a a multi-million view website until recently. You're entirely dependent on your advertisers and your partners. The clicks Mm -hmm. do nothing for you. I mean, there's no, and you you know the YouTube economics, but, you know, honestly, I I know a couple guys who get a million hits on a YouTube video and get a $420 check, basically, Mm -hmm. for it. So it's all about partnership, it's all about co-marketing, whatever. So of course it's all trash, because what are you gonna do? Are you gonna you legitimately gonna get up there and say, I think Odyssey heat treated forks are crap and I wouldn't put my worst enemy on one? Of course not. And of course you're gonna hype whatever they put in front of you. And it's driven by a news cycle, it's driven by edits, releases, whatever. <clears throat> I have no I have no respect for it. And I don't I don't think you need any of it. I don't think in a scene, in a scene like Ohio, which, frankly, is not California, it's not, it's not even New York, right? What, what do you need the BMX media for? What is it telling you?
0: More or less, I guess, just uh, <clears throat> what gets shared or made by the companies that pay them.
1: Yeah, I mean, does it help you find a part? Almost not. You know, does it does it help you learn to do a trick? Not really. Mm -hmm. Is it just a bunch of gossip and drama and people jumping off one company to another company where they both have the same factory in Taiwan and they're putting two stickers and you got two old men running it and, or, you know, this business about, you know, who's allowed to wear a Red Bull helmet or what, you know, whatnot. You can, I would say unequivocally, and I, I say this to people I know who go racing too in the car world, any minute you spend doing that, you'd be better off doing something productive. Yeah. You'd be better off at Rays riding your bike for another 20 minutes. You'd be better off lying on your back and pedaling in the air to stretch your hamstrings than you would be reading Dig BMX or whatever about, you know, what's you know, sick new edit dropped by whatever on the this year's nearly identical Sunday frame to last year's Sunday frame, uh, new colorway. I mean, what what percentage of BMX media is new colorway? Actually, probably <laughs> not
0: a ton. Not, okay. not, not anymore it's not definitely anymore. it's i would say more so what we see in bmx media at least on the websites is just a resharing of content that the company who pays them for advertising made so it's a it's an edit from one of the riders that's like the edit they've been working on for a few oh. months or a couple of years or whatever or a promo for some type of product that things like that
1: i spent every minute i had in bmx media trying to explain to people the bike does not matter that any durable bike is fine you can win you can win a race on a gt as easily as you can win it on a red line or vice versa and i think the same is true like somebody like me where i'm kind of old and have 100 broken bones i have some weird geometry needs and like front like i always try to ride a fox factory front fork or something but if you're tw- if you're fifteen years old, you should be able to pick up any bike in front of you and ride it. hmm None of it makes any difference. Some pedals have more grip than others, whatever, but it's all <clears throat> nothing about changing your bike will make, make you a better rider.
0: Yeah, unless you're talking about going from like a a twenty one and a half inch top tube with a fourteen inch rear end to like the opposite end of the oh, spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Those kind of changes <clears throat> might affect things, but if we're talking like Minute changes, yeah, it's not.
1: I mean, it, I think it's it's more a disease of racing. I know, I know a guy, twenty eight year old dude who can break a chain with legs, right? And he he'll ride a Mabo frame for six months, then he'll go to a supercross, then he'll go to um, uh, stay strong or whatever. He's just kidding himself. That's a waste of time. He'd be better off doing another run at the squat rack.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's always funny. Uh, whenever you talk about weight with certain things where we were talking about like oh this will save you two ounces and like you can literally save yourself two ounces by taking a pee
1: <laughs> yeah and and here's here's the other thing and this is again you know you want to come ride a mid-90s bike but you look at guys like dave climber and jimmy lavander gons hitting 14 foot drops on these these 38 pound garbage truck bikes my if Supercross is still on there, my Dirt Devil, which I still have, my built-up Dirt Devil in Atom Lab 48s was 36 pounds. Jeez, okay? and I could bunny hop at 30 inches, which is the same that I could bunny hop a bike that was 10 pounds lighter. Um, none of that. So once you're once you're once you've hit puberty, the weight of the bike is completely immaterial. People did people did everything on a 36-pound bike that you do on a 22-pound bike now.
0: It's funny that you say this. Well, first, I'll say, no, I'm going to save weights. The last thing that Supercross BMX said. I'll save that for when you. Uh. Uh, but it's funny you said that because the Wheelmill had a mid school bunny hop challenge this weekend at their jam that they had. And Lewis Kaminsky, the guy who won it, hopped like three foot or something, maybe higher than three feet. But it was insane. And I could not jump as high as he did on that 35 pound bike on my normal bike
1: yeah it's yeah it's it's um i watched um oh my gosh i watched a guy named uh terry Tanette, pro bmxer hit 44 inches on a steel race bike Jeez. you know like like doing nothing on grass Mm-hmm. it's none of that stuff i mean now let's it's let's face it it's fun to do fun stuff man i mean i've got My profile, you know, I don't need to ride Profile Elite wheels. It gives me no difference from Minis, but I will get a Profile Elite Hub every single time because I've worked my whole life to ride a Profile Elite Hub or an Onyx (laughs) or whatever. That's just me spoiling myself. When when I'm at Rays, I always have people, oh my God, I can't wait to have a bike like that. I'm like, by the time you do, you won't be able to ride it. Look at me. Um, (laughs) the, The bike is completely irrelevant. I see people doing stuff on the worst bikes imaginable. It just doesn't matter. Oh,
0: I think every scene in the whole country has that one rider who is better than all of the rest of them on the worst bike out
1: of yeah. the whole group we or he's know. got some horrible thing i lost so many races to a guy when his brake levers reversed yeah. and it was because his first department store bike his dad set it up that way cause he he's a motorcycle guy didn't know any better so the right hand brake did the front brake That's and he funny. couldn't change back but yeah you know this is Anybody else would tell you this that'll kill you having your right, your right brake, your front brake on your right will kill you. He won, he won grand nationals with it, you know, it's no problem.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe it's fitting to say the last thing Supercross BMX said, but can you win a race in a BMW the same as you in your Honda? Uh,
1: and well, tell Bill is that we all know that the BMWs cheated that year, and um, <laughs> you know. I, I, I beat half of them with 272 uh, horsepower at the front wheel. Or the front wheels they had 340 at the back wheels. So yeah, he and I will have that conversation later. Bill's Bill's uh, he's restoring these great old shark nose six series BMWs, and uh, he's there's a I don't know if he'll, he'll tell you I've i brought out some cars for him over the years, man. Some some big irons. So he, he loves his cars. He's 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 true to true to the BMW faith that's
0: funny i mean those are some of my favorite posts that you make is where you're literally mm. calling some dude out and tagging him and you're like look at what happened with my whatever i, I don't know the specifics yeah. but, oh my god see that and i'm like dude i just wish i could do that in the bmx
1: world well it, it, you know what the thing is brent you're so, you're so positive and i never wasn't like i told you in bmx in bmx we used to beef all the time and i think you know Craig Billingsley, who owns the Flow. Mm-hmm. Have I told you the Craig Billingsley story? It's 90 seconds. Yeah, I, I ended his pro career. Um, oh no way! Yeah, so we were in 2000. Oh no, gosh, maybe maybe 95. It was before that. We were at Pacer BMX, in pro open, and he he came out of the gate bad, and I'm ahead of him and he's getting ready to pass me. Now, Craig Billings has 100 times the talent that I have, okay? He's a great rider. I'm nothing compared to him. And I know he's going to pass me, but he's trying to do it at a place that I don't want him to do it, down this back straight. He doesn't need to do it there. He can wait for He can he get me over the next jump or I was going to bump over like a dead man while he, you know, did an X up or whatever. He starts trying to get between me and the wall, and I'm not going to have it. So I give him a little elbow to the throat, just let him know that I'm not feeling it, right? Which is very much accepted in Pro BMX. And he starts shoving under me to do it. So, the uh, the two the the track went from one side of the barn to the next through a, a metal hoop basically that was like a corrugated metal wall between the two barns. So I let him get next to me and I put my elbow on the back of his helmet and I put him face first into the wall. And you could hear the whole uh, you could hear the whole barn go bong when he when he hit right. And he, he falls back. He's completely unconscious. He's, you know, choking on his own vomit. And I went on to finish fifth out of seven or whatever. And um, he comes up behind me as I'm talking to Aw, takes his bike and throws it into my back as hard as he can thank God I was wearing the the Cinesalo motocross chest protector that all the idiot mid-schoolers wore. Just bounces off. I'm a lot bigger than he is. I didn't think too much of it. He says he's going to beat me up. They hold him. They're holding him back. He's not trying very hard to get away. You know, it's kind of a big joke. And then he opens the flow, and I want to go ride there because everybody's talking about it. I'm afraid to go because he never raced again after that day. Like, he actually got hurt. So I wait like six months at Todd Lyons and everybody talking about how this is the greatest place in, in the world and you can't go, you know, you should go. So I show up with my Supercross Dirt Devil and he's sitting there up front and he's got this, he, he looks like an angry ferret at all times. He's got this like very determined look. And I'm like, uh, I'd like to ride here, you know? And he's like, yeah, it's it's $11. I'm like, uh, cause I don't know what to say. I'm like, do you know who I am? Which is like, I feel like, like, um, you know, Tom Cruise, do you know who I am? looks up like i know who you are i said am i allowed to ride here it's like yeah and as i walk away because i hope you get hurt you know <laughs> and i ended up r- renting the flow from him a bunch of times And he would come in with no helmet do these unbelievable lines off the wall and stuff and that that hurt me more to watch him do that than that i ever hurt him by knocking him out yeah um and, uh, but yeah, we, we had drama on BMX all the time. It wasn't like now. And a lot of it was because we didn't have social media. So all the drama got started in person, got resolved in person. You didn't think about it too much. Mm-hmm. You don't have this out of control thing like you do now. Like in auto journalism, I call people out all the time if I think they're corrupt or whatever. I don't care. What are they going to do? Beat me up? I doubt it. Yeah. You know, so, and, um, so what you're doing is the right way to do it. And, and I know you see people who you'd like to call out or whatever, but, In the long run, the scene, 90% of the people, the scene figures out who they are and they don't stick.
0: Yeah, I figured that out. And that's why I I wish so badly sometimes to just say exactly what I know and what I've seen the way that you do. But I hold back from it because I've seen those people and I know what's going to happen eventually.
1: just because I, I can't be the bigger man doesn't mean you can't be, Brant. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I enjoy whenever you're not. Because it's like, holy crap,
0: he said it, and I bet no one else would. Yeah, I don't care. That's crazy. Uh, Supercross said, the Dirt Devil. I have one in the shed for you.
1: Oh, thank God. I need a second one. One to shit on, one to cover it up with. <laughs> no, no, actually, the dirt, dirt Devil, you could not kill that frame. And I'll show it to you. Bill Ryan put so much thought into this thing. When you see it, you will understand why nobody ever bent one. And I don't know if you'll say, I, I think they did 500 of them maybe. Like they were half half blue, half green. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever broke one. I saw so many people break STAs and stuff. Never saw a Dirt Devil break. Wow. This thing, I think he literally had it milled out of a solid piece of steel. It is that heavy.
0: <laughs> I think we got to plan a time for me to just come and check out whatever you got going on.
1: Yeah, before I sell it, I sold so much old school stuff and I, I kind of regret it now, but I don't because it went to people who really care about it. I may be, you know, I may be twice as old as you, but I I don't want to live in the BMX past. I, I want to ride now. I want to do what I can do. I want, to, I want to ride with young people. It's What we did in 86 was great, but <clears throat> the number of guys who will sit around and talk about it and not ride now, you know, you're missing out. What what you guys are doing now is is as vital and as important as anything we ever did.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all just exists in it's bubble of time that people are going to talk about the same way 40 years from now. Yeah.
1: And people won't believe your stuff either. What do you mean? Not everybody had an an, uh, e-bike assist in their brakeless bikes now. Oh, my God. Can
0: you (laughs) imagine what that's what people are going to say? Like how we talk about how quill stems sucked versus stems today and freaking one piece cranks and unsealed bottom brackets and all that stuff that you guys had to deal with that today kids have no idea i mean when i started riding my first complete bike it was a fit team 2006 it had a freewheel on it i never saw another freewheel other than people bringing their bike to the trails that they had you know because some race bikes will have a freewheel that's why profile makes the elite one yeah which is a
1: neat piece of equipment
0: right but like i immediately moved to a cassette after that and never looked back so i I can't imagine what kids are going to have 20 years from now
1: i'll make a quick prediction um i mentioned materials technology and i spent a lot of time reading about it the number of things that they can do now with with kevlar and carbon stranded material Mm -hmm. You're going to see park bikes that have a little bit of natural suspension built into them and don't break. And it's going to... Because if you think about the stuff people do on dirt jumpers that they can't do on a BMX bike because you can't physically take it. Mm-hmm. So I think pretty soon you're going to see forks and frames that have the equivalent of half an inch of travel in them. And half an inch of damped travel is the difference between you doing a 14-foot drop and going to the hospital and walking away.
0: So do you mean like... It's a normal frame, but the material gives it that much. Yeah,
1: and there's a company called Ibis that had a, a frame called the Bow Tie back in the day. Talking about mountain bike people pay for anything. Yeah, it used um, a flexible titanium seat and chain stay to provide passive suspension, wow. with a one-inch shock that attached to the yoke of the seat stay. Huh. So, so what you'll what you'll see is you're going to see bikes have a little bit of natural give because you can engineer that into carbon and Kevlar strands. And that way you can't break the bike from landing too hard. And you also um, just it's just stretching the impact moment out by a couple extra milliseconds does so much to ensure your joints and your um, your body survive longer.
0: Right. Like you're saying, you know, you make it the impact of you hitting the ground. It gets absorbed over a longer period of time versus, you know, hit and splat or hit bounce a little, then come back up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll you know I'll do a I'll do an eight foot drop on a on a full a full travel mountain bike, and not think about it. Mm-hmm. I haven't done. I rode a loading dock once on my Laird frame about five years ago, and I landed, and I said to my son, "We're gonna coast over to the bike, and Dad's gonna go home now." <laughs> I was like, "That's all." My my, uh, my um, meniscus just completely like called it a day, called it a week, really.
2: Yeah. So
1: Even a little bit of passive suspension helps, and y- you'll see stuff. Um, you'll see wheels that are formed in one piece and don't mm. bend. And that'd be a huge way to lower cost too. A lot of the stuff that you see done in carbon, fiber, and Kevlar now will be done with regular plastic strands in 10 or 15 years and be a lot cheaper.
0: That's pretty interesting because we saw uh, Alienation had been working on carbon rims for years. Then Ecla, a company, German company, came out with their version of carbon rims and I feel like as it goes and it becomes more cost effective, we'll definitely see more carbon in BMX.
1: Yeah, carbon fi- and, and Bill Ryan can actually speak to this, but carbon fiber is um, the only reason his frames are expensive is because he keeps jacking up the modulus. If he'd be content to sell the carbon fiber modulus they sold ten years ago, I bet the frame costs half as much. <laughs> the, um, but these uh, the the continuing cost drop of high modulus carbon fiber is probably the bmx story of 2030
0: interesting
1: and here's here's the last geeky part about it you can do stuff particularly there's no reason that a stem and bar should be separate There's is not if you know what angle you want and you know what sweep and everything you want that stuff can be set in a resin mold wrapped at once and delivered to you just that way and never change
0: How long do you think somebody could ride something like that before they feel like they need to replace it
1: well it'd be like like i got the the carbon fat bars on my mount on my dirt jumpers Mm -hmm. and my thing is you do it until you hit a rock with it and you crack the skin on it yeah okay once you crack the skin on carbon fiber that's a locus of of bending tension and that's when things come apart but realistically speaking the cycle life for the kind of carbon fiber that Bill Ryan's using in his Vision F1 frames and stuff, it ha- it, for our purposes, it's an infinite uh, infinite life cycle. Like you should, It shouldn't be like aluminum, where every aluminum hit forms a little micro crack in the structure, and then you have, over time, the frames are going to disintegrate no matter what you do. There's a, there's a lower bond to carbon fiber, like steel that if you never exceed that lower bound then you're effectively putting nowhere on the part that's
0: pretty crazy of a thought to to explore i think for racing that might make a lot of sense but for like freestyle where your bike ends up hitting the ground a lot you're gonna probably find that it might not end up being worth
1: it yeah i think it it, you know again it depends on how much you want a light bike and how much you know how much is it worth to to never have your bar slip is it worth replacing them once a year?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that factor in what you ride. I mean, if you ride in the street and you end up bailing and your bars are gonna hit the ground, you're you're probably less likely to wanna do something like that where you yeah. know that it's gonna get cracked quick.
1: But if you know, you got guys who are riding cloud nine at Woodward, you could do that on a carbon fiber bike. I actually <clears throat> this is you know, not that I'm a huge jumper, but I've ridden Profile World on uh, Carbon Fiber Supercross. Yeah, well, it was fine.
0: There's like if if, for someone like John at the trails, who only ever really rides trails, if you only take your bike off of the dirt jumps and you never have to worry about something getting nicked or dinged like that, then you you'd probably
1: be okay for a while. Yeah. So yeah, the future is just like in 1967. The future is plastics. The stuff. You know if you think about how seriously you guys take plastic pedals now Mm -hmm. you know bill ryan actually tried to do a lucite pedal back in 95 that didn't work out plastic pedals used to be on menace now people take them seriously people do downhill in plastic pedals
0: that i didn't realize that
1: i didn't realize that they were such a like i don't know looked against thing yeah the original major pedal was the mks graphite x and graphite 2000 which used a, a woven graphite thing like a skyway graphite tough wheel and uh, i broke a set and every kid i knew bought them because they were cool and everybody broke them
0: hmm. yeah pedals plastic pedals are pretty awesome these days yeah.
1: that was one of the things i had to get used to was seeing first i went to raise i saw people riding plastic pedals it's like you do is not walk up and go you gotta stop that You're gonna get hurt
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i love alienation makes a plastic pedal with metal pins in them that is just awesome
1: yeah the plastic pedal with metal pins that's like the best of both worlds right and you can yep. you can grind on them and you can um yeah just look for i think look for more parts to do that as time goes on plastic is just a strong steel in a lot of applications and if you wrap it in epoxy then sometimes you have a material that's superior to steel with, and with three D printing
0: and how fast
1: things can get turned around, that's yeah. I think that's
0: definitely going to be something we see. But there'll also be. I mean, I don't think there'll ever not be a forty-one thirty chromoly BMX frame. I think people will have them forever.
1: Well, yeah, because there there's stuff in BMX we do that already makes no sense, and we do it because it's always been done right. And then yep. and there are some people who are always going to want a steel frame and and i'll say this too the older you get and the more you get hurt with every bail the more conservative you get on stuff like that i ride a steel dirt jumper by uh thomas hosford ordinance because in the final analysis i'd rather have i was riding a uh, chromag monk which was really flexy. i got rid of that i want a steel frame because just in case i case it riveter or something i don't want the head tube to separate i just i don't want to spend a year in a hospital right from something that you would get up from and walk away
0: yeah and then for i mean personally if my bike was any lighter than it is i would not like it it would i would feel like i couldn't control
1: it well you do so much balance stuff i think you need a little inertia on the bike
0: that and just like if i'm jumping a box jump or hitting the trails my my trails bike is lighter than my skate park bike because it doesn't have pegs it doesn't have a gyro it has a 3 8 rear hub so it is almost weird to whip it Certain directions because it's lighter and i almost don't like that.
1: Yeah, I can understand. But for me, the difference is going from a downhill bike to an enduro and mountain bike. Downhill, a twenty nine inch downhill bike is like a motorcycle. An enduro bike is much more like a dirt jumper.
0: Yeah. Yeah, dirt jumpers are fun. I always like whenever people are at the trails and like, hey, ride my ride my DJ.
1: I mean, a, a DJ is kind of like Viagra. You shouldn't use it until you really need it, and every old guy will eventually find themselves using it. <laughs> the accuracy of that statement is kind of funny.
0: <laughs> because it's true. I always say DJs are like a cheat code at the trails because they're they just are. easier.
1: Well, who's the guy? I am trying to think who it was, was. was uh one of the BMX memes guys that said... Um, a DJ is like Resi, and a mountain bike is like foam.
0: Oh, yeah, I could see that. That's funny. Unless you're freaking like, uh, do you follow or have you seen anything from Dylan Stark before? Yeah. <laughs> he's he's not riding that mountain bike like it's foam.
1: No. <clears throat> I mean, some, some of the stuff that people do at Rampage and stuff, you know, jump in a 60 foot gap. You, know, it's, you need a mountain bike for that, but it, I, I have to say, I'm always surprised by how many young guys are doing, people riding riveter, hitting everything on a 20-inch, um, or, uh, or a rail yard at Bentonville. I saw I saw a, a, a Crail, which is named Brook Trine's boy, boyfriend. Tommy. Uh, yeah. he uh, I saw him doing the outside at Riveter on a 20-inch, which is not something I normally think of as being a 20-inch capable thing because it's it's rough Mm -hmm. and it starts with a drop to rocks and then and he he did it 10 times so there's somebody out there who could do it on a 20 it's not me though yeah yeah
0: i'm curious too like who all are you paying attention to these days in the freestyle world i guess Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, it's, you know, nowadays, honestly, I, I watch Devin because I know his dad, but it depresses me to watch him. <laughs> I, I um, I'll look at some of your reaction stuff. There went the 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 Polish guy or whatever you're you're looking at a couple a uh, couple it weeks Hungarian? ago. Is Hungarian? Yeah, Hungarian. That guy was on that guy was on another level. But what I most like to do is is I don't watch a lot of BMX uh, media. I go to Rays and I I watch you guys. I watch you do your stuff and. It's hard to explain, but it just on days when I'm not riding well, or I mean, I'm in a little bit of pain all the time. Just I've had so many injuries, and like there are days when it, like it's cold and it, like I'm in a lot of pain, just walking into Rays. And I'll go into profile world, I'll see you guys doing stuff, or I'll go back into the kink room and see see um, somebody doing something pretty amazing. And to me, that's as good as doing it myself because as bizarre as it sounds, like in '94 we were all afraid it was the end of BMX. Guys like Moller, Climber, uh, Taj, like. Taj won the first ever NBL dirt jump and I'm like yeah well you know it's it's neat they did that before they closed the sport down at least we tried it Mm
2: -hmm.
3: you
1: know I really thought I thought there'd be nothing here now and so now I see people like you and man, it's not on my shoulders now you guys are going to carry it and there's a whole new generation of kids who who aren't born yet who are going to think of you the way I think of Bob Harrow people like that so I'm just inspired to watch you guys ride at Ray's or you know ride some of the, the local stuff well thanks i
0: appreciate that and what's even cool in that too though is that i've seen so many older guys coming back to bmx over the last five years maybe even further back where sometimes it feels like there's more older guys coming back to bmx and there are kids starting to ride
1: well okay so that's it but I, I gotta say it's unpo- unpopular opinion time as we say on the internet. It bothers me the old school BMX is the biggest week at raise.
0: I mean that's understandable because you'd want if you want BMX to grow you want it to be more kids. We should be. I,
1: I see too many guys that ride not everybody who's who should ride. Everybody who wants to ride should ride. Okay. Yeah. It's not that I want fewer of us, but I wish. I wish and raised. I saw more thirteen-year-old kids and fewer double sevens like me riding these hyper-expensive DJs and mountain bikes, and you know, taking fifteen minutes between runs and clogging up the the micro rhythm section at uh, in the red room and all that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I wish I wish we were rarer than we are. I wish we made up a smaller percentage. And yeah. I mean, everybody wants to come back; should come back, but when i go into when i go into profile world and i see more 30 year olds and 40 year olds and i see 15 year olds that that bums me out
0: that's an understandable sentiment just because you you want those same people to be there but you want there to be that many more younger yeah
1: people. <clears throat> yeah I, I i wish they were all there laughing at us like i could really use a little bit of shaming i wouldn't mind going in I, in my dream i go to raise And I'm the only 51-year-old in there, and they kick me out because it's their scene now, and it's time for me to go home. (laughs) And, you know, then then I can go home and play Warzone and not feel like I'm letting the sport down. But um, it's an uphill battle to get kids in. Once they're in, you know they'll stay. Mm -hmm. But it is an uphill battle to get them in. And at least we have all these facilities, man. 15 years ago, what was there to ride in Ohio?
0: Well, that's... (sighs) I feel like that's the wrong time period to give, because fifteen years ago in Ohio there was a lot of indoor parks.
1: Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you had ollies and places like that that are gone now, right? But yeah, what, like, what was there to ride for free? I can think of, I can think of four or five first class pump track facilities in Ohio that are free, twenty four seven, all year round. Yeah. And you go learn your, and you got the Lebanon Dig Crew doing their thing down there making what used to be a pretty terrible, uh, dirt jump scene into something really neat. And, um, so we got the opportunities like we've never had before, but it's also harder to get people interested and involved than it ever has been. Yeah, that's true. We're fighting the internet. Yeah. And it's hard, man. I mean, it's, it's so unrewarding when you start. And I wish you know we used to tell each other that because I started with a group of guys we all raced we were all terrible and we all encouraged each other, but that's that's the thing I try to tell people now is it's not a it's not a video game you're not your first level up will be unpredictable you won't know when it when it happens that's gonna be a long time before you're not disappointed in your riding, but if you can if you can live through that then you can really accomplish something.
0: Yeah, if you uh, you enjoy the process just as much as you enjoy the rewards of like landing the first time getting something yeah
1: <clears throat> you know when people tell me they can't bunny hop i say have you tried a thousand times
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you would try it a thousand times you could do it
0: well that's what uh when people ask how to tabletop when people ask that and i'm around i'm like you just got to try it ten thousand times and then you'll be able to do it
1: and and. And you're gonna be you'd be like this. My, I, I have a lot of photos of me doing this in the air, where like I'm moving my body away from the bike to increase the look of the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's it's true, and it's um it's it's rewarding in a way that that very few things are.
0: That's, I mean, yeah, it's absolutely the case of it is, and it teaches you so much about life without realizing that you're learning about that if you apply it to your life outside, like the the, the failure and not giving up side of things you already know i don't have to yeah. preach it
1: to you well but you know but you should preach it out there to everybody else and and getting hurts part of it you know the number of grown men i know have never broken a bone how can you say that how can you i mean i know you don't get hurt locks you know what you're doing but you know if you can't if you've never rehabbed to go back and ride doing that doing that fits you out for all sorts of stuff in life that's hard Mm-hmm. yeah i wish i didn't have to do it so often
0: <laughs> that's why i wear pads and ankle braces and shin guards and knee pads
1: i always get i always get hit at the place i'm not wearing a pad i broke my arm at mike's a couple of years ago and um i was wearing every pa- i was wearing every pad but it actually broke on my elbow where the pad stopped of i fractured course. my arm and then my son's like are you okay i'm like i'm totally fine i'm gonna hit it again because i didn't want him to worry and i'm like mm-hmm. i land I'm like oh my god that's broken
0: yeah <laughs> so- my buddy Ryan's in here being a goon, saying he's never broke anything. That's uh, his, he's
1: you know, joking. You, okay, okay. I'll say his day will come. I, I, uh, I knew a guy who raced 20 years, never got hurt, then broke his clavicle uh, and lost a state championship over it. And he's like, I'm 42 years old. How can I break my clavicle? I'm like, because you didn't get it out of the, didn't get it out of the way when you were a kid. Yeah, pay those dues early. <laughs> pay, pay, them early while you heal. Yeah.
0: Uh, A comment here might be a good thing that we could expand on. Just thoughts-wise, industry has to find a way to draw the young people in. Most of us old guys coming back got drawn in when we were younger.
1: Yeah, and so what I would... And most of us got drawn in by seeing friends who rode, by seeing the stuff. Very few people, like uh, Wendy's had a crispy chicken nugget ad that had RL Osborne doing a tail whip on a bike. I mean, very few people came in because of that. Most people came in because they knew somebody who rode.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, peer pressure is still the most important way to get people to use drugs or ride a bike. And if um, the, if you can get a couple to ride, then they'll get their friends to ride. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, 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 again, in this COVID era, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to explain to somebody why they should come out. You know, you, you have a lot of kids, I think, who got used to being in the home for two years. Yeah. And now it's hard to get them to come out and do something. I, I would just say there's no – nobody's going to do it for us. You know, if um, – I try to – you know, I don't – unfortunately, my I had my son late. He's 13. I'm 51. I mean, we don't – I don't know a lot of young people. I, I put every kid in my neighborhood, I bought my first house, when I was 29. I put every kid in the neighborhood in the BMX race. I mean, no, no no exceptions. I got them a bike, I took them to the race. None of them stuck with it, but they all had a good time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but if I would say, if you're, you know, it's okay. If, you know, ask, ask your, your family and stuff what they're doing, what their young kids are doing. If there's some, some fat kid who hasn't left his PlayStation 5 in a couple of years, make him go to Ray's or Wheel Mill or something most most kids most young men particularly most young boys are just looking for something to get get that energy out and get agitated about right. and the, the bike is that but they they got to know they can do it they got to know it's there and they got to
0: find it and i I, gotta hope, find it. I hope the olympics can help with that
1: you know, it would have been nice if we had the Olympics in 76 and 80 when like people actually watched it and took it super seriously. Yeah. I mean, Olymp- Olympic BMX is insane. If you look at how fast they go in the gaps and stuff, it's like it doesn't even feel real to me based on my race experience. Mm-hmm. But it also feels like something that you're very far away from like locally.
0: Yeah. It, and that's the, the one thing I could understand with it, too. And just the disconnect of like, OK, there's this whether it's racing or freestyle like i mean how you make the connection to that is i guess you go to the local skate park
1: yeah i will say it's the, the one great thing about movies like rad and bmx bandits and stuff like that none of that stuff really looked all that impossible mm. like when you watch rad and you see like i think the, the thing that struck me in rad is toughest is when eddie fiola does a uh 180 to roll back to 180 again while carrying his papers like his newspapers he's a paper boy i saw them like oh, i'll never do that but most of the stuff looked pretty achievable yeah um what i've what i found this is this is true for any any parents or people are my son you know he's a downhill mountain biker he's cleared all of 36 chambers at um at uh, uh winter park you know, he's he's hit a 45 foot gap he's done all of Rivet or all of rail yard. But when he watches the red bull stuff, it demotivates him. like for him to watch rampage and stuff. He sees somebody drop down 50 feet down the side of a mountain. His first thought was there's no path between me jumping a gap at rail yard and doing that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to get there and I'm not interested in it. It's demotivating to him. So I try to focus on what we can actually achieve and do what the next step is.
0: Right. I think YouTube might help with that and people being able to find somebody who is similar and and watching their experience
1: yeah though like I say the algorithm like when I try to watch one of your videos or every year my, my son and I drive across the country and back and we try to hit 15 skate parks or 15 mountain bike parks or whatever and if I don't know anything about them I'll try to watch a YouTube video mm-hmm. and <clears throat> what I'm looking for is something like you going to a skate park and saying these are the lines or whatever too often, the algorithm almost immediately steers me to Brandon Roharik at uh, Crankworks. You know, and what I want, I want to see somebody doing something achievable.
0: Yeah, I gotcha.
1: And and the thing is, is just like BMX Media, there's no money in. Here's the latest report from Rays, where guys you've never heard of are barely clear on in the inside of profile world. You know, <laughs> right. the all you know all the money is in here's the first quad backflip on on resi which i have to say i could not and i've ridden resi it's helped it's probably saved my life but i care nothing about what you're doing on resi that like i will not watch a youtube video about somebody doing something on resi i just don't care
0: yeah it's fair enough i i get that perspective So why i don't like riding them personally
1: now when nick bruce is at the brew house and he does like a quad tail whip or something he just happens to land on resi i give him a pass because i'm pretty sure he could do it on a bed of spikes you know but (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
0: well jack
1: i've been running my mouth man you should let me go and get get somebody else in next time
0: i'm excited i got another one on thursday you ever heard of kurt schmidt no he is one of the people i think who helped start standard
1: oh nice okay
0: yeah i don't know the full story with any of that or a ton about him but yeah he's coming in on thursday but i appreciate you being willing to talk with
1: me oh my gosh i can't believe you, I, I, you know i'd be talking to the wall about bikes if i wasn't talking to you my ask everybody i race with nobody wants to hear about bmx you're doing me a favor
0: fair enough well i want to talk more about it because i want to see all of these bikes and things that you've been talking about this whole time that you haven't been able to show
1: so what i'm going to say is come down yeah i live next to middle ohio we're in the middle of building a little jump line it's going to be a little more mountain biking in the sense where i can't guarantee it's going to be completely smooth but i'm hoping to have a couple 15 foot tables and stuff come the spring so come on down we'll maybe put you on a crummy bike we'll let uh let victoria or somebody email, uh video you and yeah. uh, maybe it'd be a blooper reel
0: oh, i think it'd be fun i'll hit it on my bmx bike
1: 15 well, feet man. ain't that bad i know it's when you gotta hit rocks to get there it is well all right that's fair we'll work it out you can do it
0: either way i definitely want to make that happen and uh i appreciate your time and if anybody wants to follow your adventures or what you've got going on like what do you got going on to
1: Oh, I got, I got. Don't worry, don't worry about me. Just follow, have them follow you, and I'll come back and make a commercial pitch when I got something to sell.
0: (laughs) Hey, that's fair. I'm down with that. I just want to help. Come,
1: come to Mid Ohio. I'm the guy doing 11,000 rpm at 50 miles an hour. There we go.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, either way, I appreciate your time.
1: Thanks, Brent. Take care.
0: Yeah. You too. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Good night.